Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. Now, this is part two of our 30 NBA teams, 30 questions season preview. We did the Eastern Conference last week, so if you haven't heard that pod yet in the feed, go and check it out. This week, we are doing the West Coast. Decided to break it up into two parts to make sure that we had enough content, but not a four-hour podcast, right? So uh, joining me as well is my co-host, Cole Miller. Cole, how you doing? Good, Nate. Uh, it's been a great week of uh, preseason NBA, and looking forward to continuing that, discussing some more uh, regular season questions. And of course, if we're talking about the NBA, then that means we have to have the overstated NBA show crossing over with us, and representing the overstated show is Brett. Jacob is not with us this week. Steve is also not with us this week, but... We, we still have Brett. Thank God we have Brett because I got some questions on this list that I know for a fact I'm going to direct right at him. The first one, I'm absolutely going right at him. So, Brett, my friend, welcome. I hope you're ready. Oh, you know I am, man. Thanks for having me on again. I had a blast doing this last week, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be doing it again with the Western Conference now. A hundred percent. We're just going to dive right in. We're going to get right to it. So, first team I have on the Western Conference list is our uh, good friends in the Bay, the Golden State Warriors. So, like I said, I'm going to Brett with the first question. My man, who will have a better season, Kelly Oubre or Andrew Wiggins? I'm going to say Kelly Oubre on that one. Uh, I think in terms of, like, statistics, it could be pretty close between the two of them. But I think Oubre is a better player. Uh, I think he's just going to be more valuable for that team. And I think when the season wraps up, we're going to be saying Oubre had a bigger impact on Wig than Wiggins uh, on that team. And I don't hate Wiggins by any means. I actually, I think his ability to cut is a really nice fit and something they haven't really had before uh, with like Steph and Draymond. But, um, but I think Oubre is just this kind of Swiss army knife kind of guy that you could really plug in anywhere. And, and just kind of from the limited stuff I've seen in preseason, I think he's going to be a really good fit. He's a better shooter than Wiggins. And I think that'll go a long way and uh, he, he can really defend. So I'm going to say Ubre, maybe not by a ton. I'm, I'm not out on Wiggins on the Warriors by any means, but I just love the Ubre fit that much. Cole, what are your, what are your thoughts on Kelly Ubre or Andrew Wiggins before I hop into that? Yes, I, I think it's going to be splitting hairs most of the season. I, I am going to lean Wiggins, and I'll say it for this reason. I think Wiggins is coming from a place uh, further down than Oubre. Like I, Oubre is a great fit for Golden State, and like you said, Brett, he's going to do a number of things in their system that's going to make him look you know, like the complete player that he can be. Um, but the same could be said for Wiggins. He hasn't really had that system, having spent the first few years of his career in, in Minnesota. I think we kind of see the defensive um, side of him come out a little bit more in Golden State. They give him a little bit of freedom to play make on the defensive side in space. And I think, uh, you know, based off where he's coming from in Minnesota, having not been able to show both sides of uh, his talent, I think that's the reason he's going to have a better season in Golden State. That's a very interesting argument about the defense, because if I was splitting this argument up, I'd probably lean with Brett overall on Kelly Oubre only because I think I think Andrew Wiggins is going to be the better offensive player out of the two of them this season I think Golden State will find more ways to utilize him than he was ever offered in, in, in Minnesota to be honest 
Um, so Ubre obviously fits in really well as like a role player offensively. It, it's funny when he was coming out of college, when he played at Kansas going into Kansas, he was kind of listed as like a guard. Cause I think people thought that he'd be able to, to do a little bit more playmaking. His handle was better and he'd be more of this like shot creator off the bounce, which obviously he's done some of that in the NBA, but that hasn't been his best strong suit. His best strong suit has been kind of acting as that role player cutting to the basket um, moving without the ball. And then when he does have the ball, kind of just doing a lot of those line drive things or just standing still for the spot up shot. Right. So I think that that absolutely can be valuable to any team, but I think defensively, I think Kelly Oubre offers a little more than, than Wiggins just from the standpoint of golden state loves to um, utilize these small ball lineups. So like, if you're going to put somebody next to Draymond, like a four spot, Kelly can play up. And Kelly can guard guys who are as big as him or maybe a little bit bigger, right? Andrew Wiggins, for for all that he's done, and I'm really interested to see if he can play up on defense in terms of like a one-on-one matchup because looking at him this offseason, he actually looks like he's added a decent amount of weight and a little bit of bulk to him. So maybe that is going to be a different part of his game that he didn't have previously, but him guarding up has just not worked out for him in the NBA. He can get He can get burned pretty bad in the post at least – um, from from what we've seen up to this point and then and on that same notion if you have him guard smaller than his position um, I, I think he's getting beat especially like his off-ball defense when he has to kind of like range and play a little bit and at a Cole's point that could he, he could be able to show more of that this season but at least from what I've seen in the past when he's had to be responsible for like covering space where like, there's like a point guard or like a quicker guard moving off the ball I mean they can just backdoor him all, all day long is what I've seen in the past. So I'll be curious to see if that does transpire. Um, we get something different from that standpoint. But I think I think offensively, Wiggins has a little more upside. Defensively, I think Ubre might be more valuable. And I think Ubre's defensive impact has a great chance to be felt more than Andrew Wiggins' offensive impact, if you want to like offset the two, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I, I just think like Ubre's length is is a little underrated. Like, I think he's got a, maybe a seven, one wingspan. Um, you know who I like, if, if I was to come up with a comp for Ubre uh, or like a description, he's almost like a rich man's Kent Bazemore. Like that's kind of how I look at him. And it's funny because Bazemore's on that team. But when you look at Bazemore, Ubre, Wiggins, Draymond, like they've got some serious length, not to mention, of course, like Wiseman uh, and Chris, like, I think I read that they have, you know, nine or 10 guys with seven foot plus wingspan, like Bayes has a seven foot wingspan and so do uh, Ubre and I believe Wiggins. So they've got like this interesting component of length that, you know, we'll see how that, how that all shakes out. But, but yeah, I think they're going to be a really interesting team. So like, even if Wiggins isn't the greatest defender, I just think that that length he has is going to contribute a lot, but, um, but yeah, Ubre, I think I think more than anybody's going to really have an impact in terms of like uh, newcomers on that team. I think we can at least agree though that like the both of them are absolutely going to have much better impacts in this situation than they had on their previous teams. Although one thing I will say about Ubre, I know I talked about how he hasn't always been the best having to create off the dribble in the NBA. He did start to to show a few more things um, with the Phoenix Suns last year in terms absolutely. of going into his bag a little more. So. If if that does come along, if maybe he's that's been something that he's wanted to work on in in the off season and really make a priority to get better at, then he gets a lot more interesting um, mm-hmm. as a player overall. So I, I I think upside though offensively 
I, I still have to lean towards Wiggins because I, I don't know why he hasn't shot better in the NBA. Like, I don't know why his percentages haven't been better than they are. Like, his jump shot, shot selection. is not is, is it's yeah. not broken. Yeah, probably it's, it's shot, shot selection. selection. Yeah. And Minnesota held him, did not hold him accountable at all, and I think that's really why I'm, I'm beating the drum for him here at Golden State. Like, you know what Kelly's bringing to the table in Golden State, and that's a great package of, of skills to bring to, to that team. Um, but I think the fact that Wiggins is going to now be – and their owners have said it. They know that, like, he, Wiggins knows this is his time to show everybody that he's got more than what he's shown in Minnesota. And for 12 games last year when he was with Golden State, he averaged 2.7 combined steals and blocks. Uh, by far the most in his career. I know that's a very small sample size, but something clicked there. I, th- I think there's something there that's going to make us see that Wiggins is a way better defender than we ever gave credit for in Minnesota. Yeah, I, I think as long as the both of them, at least offensively, as, lo- as long as the both of them just stay moving on the court and they don't just kind of stand around and wait for somebody else to, to make a play, if they're moving, if they're getting open, if they're doing what they need to do on that front, they're they're playing with two of the best passes in the league in, in Steph Curry and Draymond Green. So it, it's not like they have to do a lot of things on offense by themselves. And on that same notion on, on defense, with, with that same line of thinking, Draymond's one of the best and most intelligent defenders in the league as well. So in terms of having a vocal leader on defense who's calling everything out, putting other guys in position, telling them where they need to be, coaching them up after a play. Draymond is absolutely one of the best guys at doing that in, in the whole league. So I think that um, Ubre, I don't think, is going to need as much of that coaching. But I think Wiggins, if Wiggins is open to criticism on the defensive end, he can learn a lot from Draymond. And in turn, his physical gifts obviously are better than than Ubre's. You mentioned the length, Brett. The length is probably the only thing I'd say that Ubre definitely has like a clear advantage um like physically so i I think if wiggins is open to soaking things up like a sponge and taking in all the knowledge he's going to get from both of those guys i think he can really blossom and and flourish but i I guess i'm just going to lean kelly overall because i'm I'm going to play it safe a little bit on that one i know that kelly's going to come in he's going to be a good locker room guy he's going to soak up some of the knowledge he's going to get from those two guys i just bet on him having an easier transition but I, i don't knock cole at all for what he's saying about Wiggins, because this is Wiggins. No. Th- this will be his best chance to succeed. He, he, yeah, Cole, Cole could very well be right on this. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Ubre for similar reasons that you mentioned, just kind of playing it safe. Um, we know what he's going to bring, like like you guys both said. But if you know, if we revisit this conversation in six months and Wiggins is like the clear winner, like I would not be surprised at all because if he was ever going to put it all together if it was ever going to click for him now is the time and i do think we saw glimpses of that in his short time with golden state last season it's all there for him it's it's really just up to him we we know about the physical talent we know about the basketball talent um let's just see but yeah i don't know I, he he's a he's a tough one to predict but if it was ever going to happen it, it would be this season it's a perfect opportunity especially now that clay is not there like he's going to have a huge role he could very well be their number two option on offense at least in terms of scoring so um this is this is a big year for andrew wiggins i think it's needless to say yes sir yes sir um so moving on to our next question here i have the clippers next on the list but i want to tie the clippers into what i also wrote down for the houston rockets we're just going to get to the big news relatively early um, in this podcast, maybe not news, but at least the biggest topic that we probably have in terms of most time relevant, right? And and that would be James Harden. So it's funny for the Rockets. My question I wrote down was, 
Um, what in the hell happens with James Harden, right? So you can take that question, but I had one of my best friends, Scott, who has been on this podcast previously, literally texted me last week, and he posed the question, did the Clippers, are we sure the Clippers didn't just sign Paul George to ultimately, to that extension, ultimately move him in a trade with Houston for James Harden? So my question for the Clippers was, would it be wise for the Clippers to explore a trade for James Harden? So I guess we can kind of knock both those out in one shot, Cole. But what are your thoughts on on the Clippers maybe exploring something for James Harden and being one of those teams in the dark that hasn't really been mentioned in those trade talks, but could, could emerge as, as a destination. Right. So in theory, I think your friend was onto something in, in the sense that, you know, maybe they signed Paul George to start equaling out the money to acquire someone like James Harden. But then I try and reconcile that with what I know is going on with Jerry West and the whole Kawhi tampering lawsuit uh, and getting him over to the Clippers. And I'm like, and, and how Paul George ties into that. And I'm like, does Kawhi really want to just ship Paul George out in a year after all that? And just, so I, I know I should probably have a better answer, but I have no idea what happens here. I don't think the Clippers should touch James Harden. I don't think anybody should touch James Harden this year. Um, he's clearly not in the right mind frame. And the guys had issues with now Westbrook and Chris Paul. And I know people have their own issues with Westbrook, but Harden's also a common denominator in this. So there's got to be some blame to give to him. I'm just going to stay with no, the Clippers should not touch James Harden. Brett, I'm really curious to hear what you think about this one because you're you're the West Coast guy, right? Re- representing the West Coast on this podcast. So yeah. being no, a little I, closer, what are your thoughts? I do go to some Clippers games from time to time. As soon as I can get back to a game, that's going to be near the top of my list. Um, wouldn't call myself a Clippers fan, but I pay attention. I, I agree with Cole. I don't think they should touch him. And it's for the simple fact that call me crazy, but – I think the Paul George Kawhi Leonard thing can work, right? Like that last season, people talk about it like it was just this unmitigated disaster. Um, look, Paul George was coming off a double shoulder surgery. He missed a significant amount of time during the regular season. And then just when they were kind of getting rolling, just when things were starting to click, and I remember Doc talking about it, things were just coming together. We went on hiatus. And then we all know about the bubble. And look, you can talk about, you know, their, their miserable performance on game seven against Denver where neither of them showed up. But if you look at the bubble as a whole and you start looking at the time that Patrick Beverly missed with an injury, um, the, the Lou Williams thing and his quarantine and extended absence, Montrez Harrell not being there for any of the seeding games and coming in out of shape and terrible. Like there was a lot more to it than just Kawhi and PG underperforming. Um, and that was their first year together like let's run it back i you know and i I like the additions that they made in terms of uh ibaka and luke Kennard. i think is a really underrated acquisition uh as long as he can stay healthy um i think he can play some point i think he's got more playmaking ability than people realize I, i think he actually could really help to at least partially fill that obvious void that they had there and then um bringing back marcus morris like i i like their off season it's you know so um I think it's worth another shot. I think that's how they probably see it. They've got Ty Lue there, obviously, now. Um, <laughs> to me, he's probably the closest thing to Doc Rivers, just like a younger version. But if that's what the players wanted, cool. Um, but I think it can work, long story short. And I think we should see what they look like in year two before just blowing that 
combination of the two up after one um, disappointing playoff run under really weird circumstances. So yeah, in, in a word, um, no, I think, yeah, I, I agree with Cole. I think they should just kind of stick with what they have and, and Harden would be just be too much of a, even if they could get him for say Paul George, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'd, I don't know if I'd, I would want that. I almost like the fit better with Kawhi and PG. I think they could have something really special there. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't even know what Houston gets out of it. Like, like what do they really get out of it? If they would make a deal, like what would, what would, I, I guess, obviously like if, if you're swapping like the Paul George and James Harden salaries, like a lot of the money works, like you really don't have to have too much filler there just to make the money work. But in terms of a package, like, what, what are the Rockets really getting back? Like, so, so they're going to lock themselves into Paul George. They're not necessarily hitting the reset button doing that because you still have John Wall there. You, you have Boogie Cousins trying to make a resurgence. So you're, yeah. you're essentially locked into this, like, John Wall, Paul George, Boogie Cousins team, which sounds great probably, like, three or four years ago, right? You're, you're talking about, like, a super team. Now I don't really know where that gets you, and I'm not sure that that's attractive for Houston moving long-term. Um, in the short term, still sticking with the Clippers. Yeah, I agree with both you guys. And I, I hate how there's been so much Paul George slander. I, I, I despise it. Um, Colin Cowherd made a great point on his show that how many people in this league actually get to the top of the mountain and win a championship and how many people do it repeatedly. It's not, yeah. the, the list isn't very long, but it's there's really a lot of hard. great, yeah, there's a lot of great players who haven't won championships, but yet, I don't hear them slandered nearly as much as Paul George. There have been great stars who have just come up short in some big games and just haven't gotten to the top of the mound. But that doesn't mean that we should just say we should go like the the other end of the spectrum and just say that like oh they're not like top fifteen, top twenty players in the league. Like no, I disagree with that completely. Um, and and quite frankly, Paul George is still a really useful, impactful two way player. I mean, it, it wasn't really. I guess it has been longer than it feels like to me. But to me, it really doesn't feel like that long ago when he was dueling with LeBron James in the Eastern Conference to, no, to try and go to the not, finals. Like, it was not that long ago. And that's the thing, man. He's only, what, 30 years old, and he's been to the conference finals like with, with Indiana. And then when he goes to OKC, he finishes third in MVP voting. He has a phenomenal season. And that was – he's not that far removed from that. That was like two years ago. So, I mean, yeah. I, his shoulders I started to bother him too. Like, <laughs> yep. Right. And, and he was coming off double shoulder surgery last yeah. season. like. Yeah, give the guy a break. I mean, and, and honestly, if you look at his stats from the Denver series, if you look at just games one through six, right? Because we know both him and Kawhi shit the bed in game seven. But right. if you look at games one through six, like his numbers were pretty damn good. Like he did his thing. It's just like he had a couple, he had like two really bad games against Dallas and then the game seven against Denver. And everyone's just like, you know, he makes jokes, play all the playoff P stuff. But I just think that stuff is, it's almost like, internet like twitter like meme kind of jokes like but people that actually know basketball know that paul george is still a top 20 player in the nba so uh and i think the clippers are smart enough to to not blow it all up like i mean oh sure harden like in a vacuum is a better player i get that but like let's see let's let's make this work with with Kawhi and pg i mean i don't think they have beef between each other right yeah. um I, you know, like they're, they're cool with each other. And I think that's the most important thing. Like if that was, if they didn't get along, okay, maybe you move one, maybe you move Paul George if, if he's got a beef with Kawhi, but I think they want to make this work. So let's do it. I think they will. And I don't think they're even going to explore that option to answer the question. 
Yeah, they 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 didn't have enough time to to gel together. They they were no. given one season, and big experiments like this generally take two to three years to come to some sort of like tree that that's bearing legitimate fruit, right? So like that that's just the nature of the beast. That's just how the league works. It is what it is. So I guess we can all agree that the Clippers probably aren't a good destination. So we'll 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 cover the the Houston side of the question then right here. So Brett, if if the Clippers aren't really in the picture, what the hell does happen with James Harden? What do you think is going to happen? Well, not to toot my own podcast's horn, but we recorded please an episode. Plug your podcast, please. <laughs> we recorded an episode of the Overstated NBA Show on October 18th, and I think Jacob brought up the idea of Houston trading Harden, and then Steve threw out the word Philly, and then I threw out the name. Ben Simmons and it all just kind of fit together and we were just like huh that makes a lot of sense that might be their only move this was before I think it was right after uh Maury left Houston uh but before he you know before there was any before he went to Philly for sure and we were talking about this and look it still makes sense because that's a guy like okay like you like you were talking about in the last part there like what's really in it for Houston if you're getting Paul George back, right? Like, does that really change things for you? It's a big name, but it's not It's really a big a name, but it's not like – he's not like a guy that um, represents, like, the identity of your team. Like, I think he's, like, a secondary player. But if you're talking about Ben Simmons, that's a guy you could really build around and, like, okay – this is the direction we're going. Like we're going in this totally new direction. So I think Ben Simmons is one of the few guys in the league that might be available in exchange for Harden. That's like worth it to them. Um, like they could go, they could commit to him. They could build around him. Like, don't, don't you think Paul George isn't Paul George isn't really a guy you build around. Like he's more of like a piece. He's a great piece, but he's not like a number one guy. Ben Simmons is a guy that can sort of define your team. Like, um, and I think, look, I think he fits with what they have now. I think in Christian Wood, they've got a center that can really stretch the floor. I mean, that guy can shoot it, uh, no doubt. And, um, but, but the bottom line is like, I think he's kind of the best available potential target for Houston in exchange for Harden. Um, so regardless of fit or anything else, you're getting a guy that's how old is Ben Simmons? 23, 24, 24. I mean, and we all know how good he is. I don't need to tell you guys, you're Philly guys. Um, so from from Houston's perspective, I'm not saying Philly should do this or will do this, but from Houston's perspective, that makes more sense than anything. And obviously, you know, we've heard the rumblings in the last day or two that Simmons might be available, but you guys would know better than I on that one. But I like it from Houston's point of view. I would well, do it. I think that story leaked. From Houston side, I think they're trying to force Philly's hand a little bit because as much as there's speculation out there that there are contenders in both conferences um, that have interest and want to give up assets, I think that's just a rumor. I think people, I think Houston's trying to float a lot of stuff through the media right now to try to force somebody's hand. I don't think Brooklyn is ultimately going to force its own hand. I think if anyone really does the deal right now, Unless there's a team out there again that we don't know about, and trust me, this this happens in the league all the time, as we're all familiar with. These like surprise out of nowhere teams just pop up and, and, and make a big move or a big trade. But in terms of like obvious fits, I I, I agree 
It's it, it's probably Philly. I, I don't really know where where James Harden gets the Sixers if you do the Ben Sw- the Ben Simmons swap because they're probably going to have to throw in something with Ben Simmons. So it's probably like Ben Simmons, maybe like one of the younger guards, like a Shake or a Thibel or something like that, then some picks, right? That's probably how the deal yeah. gets done. Um, what so I will Sixers, say, though. Oh, yeah, real, go, go ahead, Cole. Yeah, real quick. The Sixers came out and said that if we're moving Ben Simmons for Harden, we're getting more back along with Harden. So not vice versa of what you just said. So well, they've already... That- yeah, that's the thing. Like, like they have the leverage. Houston doesn't, so they're gonna have like to bend to Philly's will if this right. This, happens. This thirty-one-year-old James Harden really carry more value than twenty-four-year-old Ben Simmons? Like, I don't know. When you think about Simmons being like an all-defensive first-team caliber defender and like his youth and potential, and it's like, and then you think about the off-court stuff with Harden. Like, right. I, yeah, I, I, I think Houston should be the one throwing something extra in. Like I don't, I I agree completely. Like that with with that, um, and I hadn't heard that, but that makes sense because I I think Simmons might be of higher value if we're talking about trades. Totally, given the circumstances right now. And look, the question was what in the hell happens with James Harden? So before we declare he's already a Sixer and we ruin my season before the season <laughs> starts, let's answer the question. Houston's stuck with him. They're stuck with him this year. He's he's forcing his way into a hole that nobody wants to dig him out of. Um, or give up the talent to dig him out of that hole. The only dark horse team I could see possibly doing this is Portland, and they give up on CJ, and they say that we need somebody better than CJ, and we're going to give this a, a real swing of the go because this is probably our best oh chance to do it. I think Brett just had a heart attack. <laughs> hey, I, yeah, but the Blazers are, are my West Coast team for sure, yeah. uh, and yeah, I would, I would I'd probably do that. <laughs> I probably if, – if we could find a way to do that, I probably would, I, and I hadn't even thought about that. I was thinking of like – Miami, they got even some parts. I mean, they do. do like they do. CJ they do. and Collins isn't like impacting the team right now, and no nope. Sears a, a gamble, but he's there. CJ, okay. Oh man, now you got my now you got the wheels turning, man. Right. <laughs> I think I think they do trade him. Uh, I I don't know if it's to Philly for sure. To be honest, if Daryl wasn't in Philly, I I wouldn't even think there's yeah. a chance of that happening but like right. the fact that daryl is there um i remember just reading like you know when he left houston the message he wrote like thanking james harden and mm-hmm. i think he really believes harden is like the ultimate modern nba player and i mean if daryl wasn't in philly i don't i wouldn't even read too much into it but because he's there i still consider them the front runners but but i think one way or another and again to answer the question that i think harden will be dealt. I do not think he will be in Houston past the trade deadline. I agree. I I I, I think he I think he's going to Philly. I, yeah. I, I don't necessarily Ooh. want the trade to happen, but um that that's if I'm putting money on it, that's what I would put money on. And what I will say about that is if you look at that trade, if that happens from Houston side, oh, the Western Conference, I don't know if I want to play Houston in the playoffs because that's a playoff team. And if you're talking about the speed that they would have with John Wall back, plus Ben Simmons and Christian Wood in the front court, as well as the guards they'd have around them, who wants to play that team? A- 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 am I right? Like, who who's keeping up with that team athletically? Like, you want to talk about defense? You want to talk about offense at a fast pace? You can talk about the the quote unquote lack of shooting, but Christian Wood. For, for some of the questions I have about his shooting and how good of a shooter he actually is, 
he can spread the floor. There's no question about if he can spread the floor at all. So then you can start using Ben Simmons as like a pick and roll guy. Obviously, you can put the ball in his hands in, in, in dribble handoff situations. You can put the ball in his hands um, off like a short roll and then making a play off a short roll. Like there's a lot of different things you can do with Ben Simmons if he's I not think, handling the ball all the time. Uh, and that's just a dangerous team. He, he I, I just, whether he's in Philly or somewhere else, man, I just want to see Ben Simmons roll into the rim. Like I think yeah. he, I think he's like an ideal role man. And and when when Shake Milton sort of emerged, um, look last season, obviously Ben was hurt when Shake really came into his own. And then in the bubble, it was like, are we going to start seeing this pick and roll? Like they finally got a pick and roll ball handler where Ben can be the role man with Shake, who can is a threat to shoot and can pass, can handle. Um, and it was like, and then you know, b- b- right when they were sort of figuring it out, then Ben got hurt. Um, so wherever he is that's like the role i want to see him in is like as as the role man i mean i think he's deadly in that role and uh if he stays in philly is shake that guy that you know because they they talked about it they talked it up a lot um and maybe we'll see that this season but or, or if or if they trade him like i just hope we can sort of see that version of him i think he's been miscast a little bit um in the years with brett brown in terms of like his role uh so yeah that that's something i'll be keeping an eye on for sure and i think it's one reason why he really could fit in houston and i'll just say man wall looks fast yeah like he's he he looks real i don't know about cousins cousins to me i know he's put up some numbers and like made some threes but i'll be honest he looks i was gonna say who by the way can also spread the floor he can shoot the lights out like he's i think he's he was like the original stretch five to be honest like if you go back he was like the first center to really be shooting like six threes a game or whatever. Um, like he was onto that before anybody. Yeah, in Sacramento. To yes. Forget anywhere else in Sacramento. And, 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 then, and then New Orleans before he got hurt. Like he was really stretching the floor. Like no true center who actually has a post game has done before. Um, and, then, and then he got hurt and things kind of fell apart. So we know he can shoot. But uh, looking at the way he's moving, he looks very labored. I'm not super confident in him, but Wall looks really good. Wall looks really fast. And um, yeah, Houston could be fun if they got Simmons. So I know you guys are Philly guys. You probably don't want to give him up, but I could see it happening. Yeah, but even Brett, to your point, like with Ben and and Christian Wood combining for a nice combo, the same could be said for James and Christian Wood. And why wouldn't James want to try and see, like this is easily the the most talented big overall that he's gotten to play with. Clint was was just a role guy and, and Dwight was at the tail end of his career too. Or Boogie, uh, for that matter, as long as Boogie's, like, back from yeah, the dead, at least yeah, somewhat, like, take right. the same, same token. Right. And and so, who's I, – I can't rule out James puts this crap aside for the first month of the season, realizes he might enjoy playing with the current team as constructed, and they try and give it another go. But if, yeah. he, doesn't, if he doesn't do those things, that makes him look even more of an asshole. And I don't know how you trade for him when he's putting himself in that situation. No, you, you make a great point. When we did our uh, Western Conference preview on, on our podcast, I kind of said the same thing. Like, I think I would lean towards Harden being traded if I had to bet, right? Like, But it's not, like, overwhelming. It would be, like, 55-45. But there is potential for him and Christian Wood to really have something special. And I said the exact same thing. Like, Christian Wood is by far the most talented big man he's ever played with, the most versatile um like you said, Capella and Dwight Howard were just role men pretty much. Like Christian Wood can do a lot more, and he looks really good. He looks like, looks to me, I think he's the best value signing 
of the offseason, the fact that they got him for like 13, five a year or whatever it averages out to is just like, I thought he was worth close to 20. Um, but I know it was a small sample size, but I think they got a, a steal there. Maybe Harden sees that. Maybe it works out. I don't think it's like overwhelming that they're going to trade him. But I, if I had to bet, that's I would say they move him. But I, you, you and I are in agreement there. I don't blame Cole for for saying what he said about Harden pretty much being stuck in Houston. Because yeah, it's it's if the other team wants to give up the assets to get him. Houston really doesn't have much leverage or or say in the matter they can make the phone calls but they can't make somebody trade and give up other assets so we'll we'll have to see how that ultimately plays out um we we talked about the clippers in that conversation their neighbors next door the lakers brett i know you have some thoughts about this one um because you you you've made your case pretty clear um <laughs> in, in the overstated group about the lakers offseason um, versus some other off seasons my question was will the dennis Schroeder Montrez Harrell pick and roll combo be as or more effective of a combo than Lou will and Harrell was for the Clippers. Uh, I'm going to make this one quick and I'm just going to say, no, like it's not going to (laughs) be, it's not going to be as effective and it's not going to be more effective. And that's not to say that it won't be good or it won't even be one of the better pick and roll combinations in the league because it very well could be. Um, Montrez is is set. He's an excellent screener. He's an excellent roller. He's, he's an awesome partner to have in that. Uh, And, Schroeder didn't play as much, um, didn't do as much in the pick and roll last season, I think, as a lot of people think, but he's certainly capable um, in that situation. But look, Lou and Trez is like, that might be like a top five all-time pick and roll duo. As crazy as that is to say, like they were really something special. Um, So to say that, you know, you can just plug in a different guard and, and they're going to be just as good in that, um, in the pick and roll. I, I'm not there. I, I don't, you know, Dennis Schroeder's not Lou Williams. Um, maybe now at this point, he's objectively a better player. Maybe he's a better player in a vacuum. I'm going to say Lou Williams isn't Dennis Schroeder on that same <laughs> note. So, uh, they're, they're, well, they're different players. They're different yeah. players. Yep. Um, Lou and Trez had a, a very special chemistry. And I'm, I'm just not sure that can just be replicated, just like, boom, just pl- plugging them in. Um, so I think they will be a good pick-and-roll duo, but I don't think they're going to be an all-time great pick-and-roll duo. And and, and I, I thought Lou and Trez were, were an all-time great pick-and-roll duo. So, yeah. yeah. I'm not hating on them, um, <laughs> like, at all, but I just I – don't, I don't think they're going to be quite that good right off the bat. I don't think they'll be that good either. I think, honestly, it'll be even more pick and pop for these two because I think if Schroeder gets the corner, you really want him going down downhill and finishing at the lane or getting the foul. Um, and my, I've seen Montrez um, popping out for more jump shots in the preseason already, so I wonder if they're trying to experiment that with them. Um, but I think the main reason being they won't be as effective is because Lou Williams could pull up or make a floater from just about anywhere, and you had to respect that. Whereas Dennis can't, again, he wants to finish at the rim more times than not. And Montrez was faster than almost everybody. He was running off the the roll when he was screening for Lou. So that's why they were so effective. And I think that's why it'll be a little bit of a different dynamic between these, between uh, Dennis and, and Montrez because of Dennis's different skill set than Lou's. Yeah. And, and the main reason why I asked the question is because we already know what the rest of the Lakers team looks like, right? We, we know what those guys are bringing to the table but we don't know what these two in particular are going to do together. And I think that's the key 
to the Lakers, maybe not their, their playoff success necessarily. We know that burden falls on LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but to more success or greater success in the regular season, I think a lot hinges on these two to be able to succeed together, have a combination like that, that's similar to that dynamic that the Clippers had to maybe let LeBron James and Anthony Davis take their feet off the gas just a little bit in the regular season, but still maintain a high enough win total. Because I I think at the end of the day, it's always better than not, even if this is a different year than most in terms of not having fans at games and, and the home court being as big of a factor, it's still nice to be able to play in your building more times than not, especially in the playoffs, right? So I think the regular season record still has to count for something. And we know that there are a few teams that we're going to get to. Um, one in particular that I can think of that's absolutely going to make a strong push to have a better regular season record, more so than the Lakers. Um, but if LeBron James is motivated, he's like, hey, let's keep that home court. Let's play as many games, home games in L.A. as we possibly can in the playoffs. What can we do to get there? those two have to be looked at as one of the keys during the regular season that's going to help them get there. So that's really why I asked the question. Yeah, they, they definitely do during the regular season have to step up and, and carry some of the weight while those two get their rest in, those two being Anthony Davis and, and LeBron. Come playoff time, though, this this question should be changed to Anthony Davis and, and Schroeder on that pick and roll. That's going to be some dangerous dangerous stuff with those with the foot speed between those two and, and the skill between Anthony Davis. Mm. I think that in the playoffs is just it's going to wreak havoc on people. Uh, uh, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's a more important thing to consider in the grand scheme of things. Cause it's like, yeah, it's not just Schroeder and Lou, like it's our Schroeder and Lou Schroeder and Harold. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Schroeder and Davis could be absolutely lethal. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting. I like, I like the off season they had. I just don't love it. Um, so I'm not, I know I've like, just because people were so hyped on it and I was kind of like, I don't know. I mean, it was good, but you know, maybe not great. I don't know if they got that much better. That's just kind of my stance on that. But I mean, we'll I see. It's, it's been fun in the preseason to see Marcus All play at like the top of the key and kind of like feed everybody and kind of be add like a different dimension to that Lakers offense because they haven't had another big that can kind of just stand there and see the whole court and just be flinging passes everywhere to all these different shooters that they have. So I, I think that aspect is really fun and i think it's definitely something that's going to benefit the rest of the team and something that's been undersold because when when people talk about marcus saw at least nowadays kind of what he was for the toronto raptors like he's pretty much a guy who was just he, he was going to shoot a three when he was open and you know that he's a big body down low who's smart enough who's going to be able to, to hold the team together enough defensively at his age right but i think people forget that Playmaking and passing is still, for the most part, IQ-based. And Marcus Gasol's basketball IQ isn't going to go anywhere, despite no. how old he gets. So the, the playmaking side of him that was great in Memphis, that even then kind of was undersold. Like he was, in, in some ways, he was the Jokic before Jokic broke out on the scene. Like Marcus Gasol was the best playmaking center in the league. So just having that as something else for the Lakers to be able to tap into along with some of the other additions they made. I think that to me is what really spoke out more about their offseason because I think it lets them play um, a few more different ways than they might have been able to last year when you just have all these really high intelligent guys together. Would you like, do you think they traded offense for defense or defense for offense? I should say like, 
because I feel no, like yeah. I feel like they in losing lost. you you lose Rondo, Avery Bradley, JaVale McGee, and Dwight Howard, and then you bring in you know Gasol and Trez and Schroeder. It's like I know Gasol was you know is has been known for his defense for a long time, but I'm not sure he's like an elite defensive anchor at this point. I almost think his offense, like you mentioned, his intelligence, his IQ brings more value than than his defense, and it's like. I don't know. I, I wonder. I, that's that's how I look at it. Is like they they kind of traded some defense for some offense. It, it, that's a really simplistic way to look at it. I know, but that's sort of how I how I see it. And I'm not quite sure how that's going to end up looking. I, I'm not really. I don't really want to say they got worse, and I don't really want to say they got better. They just kind of got different. <laughs> well, they're 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 betting on Anthony Davis to be like that defensive player of the year guy. And, right. and maybe take it up even a notch past that. Like, I I personally, I would have voted for Anthony Davis as Defensive Player of the Year last year. I wouldn't have voted for Giannis. But so they're expecting him to be there, take it up another level, and then, especially come playoffs, they're expecting LeBron James to kind of stay at the level that he was at in the bubble defensively. Because when he had to play defense, he was there, and his impact was felt. Um, but, yeah, losing some of those other guys at the perimeter is going to hurt them, I guess. If, if you expect Alex Caruso to be an even better defensive guard, if you expect yeah. KCP to kind of take some of those lumps, and you sure. expect Schroeder to maybe not be like a lockdown defender, but at the very least be active, and, and when those steals are there to be hunted for, you, you expect Schroeder to be able to step up and make some of those plays defensively to get everybody out on the break. Like you're, you're basically betting on the guys that you have to take a step up on defense to support the offense that you brought in. I, I, I'm kind of with well, you, Brett. I don't know how much better those individual pieces can be defensively, but yeah, that that's the gamble they're making. But if that happens, if <laughs> if the guys they have take a step up on defense and, and the, the guys that they brought in have the offensive impact that they expect that oh, they expect them to have, then that's 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 a that's an NBA champion again. I mean that's a that's an absolute monster of a team. So those are some relatively big ifs, but I think that was probably the the thought. Yeah, so yeah <laughs> the, the lakers build for the championship when they make offseason moves in my opinion yeah the regular season matters to an extent but they're not making roster moves so be like oh we need to get two more wins here i don't right, think that's right. their thinking at all right. um so I, I think they get to the postseason and or closer to the trade deadline if they need another defensive guy they'll go figure out who that is um i think we'd be remiss to not mention Taylor horton tucker given the preseason he is having uh the dude has some physicality to him he might not be the most terrible option and he's in-house already for him to step up and, and take some some different roles on this season for them in terms of playmaking and defensive stopper he's he's shown a little bit all of it so far in preseason sure has man and it's like how much is Wes Matthews going to give you that's sort of like right that's sort of what Talon's role is dependent on in my opinion is like is Wes if Wes is a little more washed than we might think then Talon's going to have a role. Um, I mean, I think, I think Talon at this point is in their um, top 10 in terms of rotation. Oh, he's absolutely in their top 10. I can make an right. argument. That he's going to break well, into their top eight. Well, yeah, I was talking about this in the group as far as like top eight. And that was, I had a hard time getting to that just based on the preseason stuff, but like it's, it's possible um, but it's not just the preseason. He showed out in the bubble when he was given the opportunity too. Now, obviously, oh, oh, right. they didn't really go to well, him in the playoffs. Right. They wanted to lean on experience. But when he was in there in the in those playing games, he was um, like those eight games. Like, oh no, he was a key contributor. 
Without question, without question. I, I wrote about this. Like I, 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 um, I feel the same way. I mean, he was fantastic and his, he's a very, very interesting player, man. I mean, he's, he can do some things that not a lot of guys can do in terms of finishing, namely. Shades um, of Eric Gordon. Young I like that comp. I like that comp a lot. I, I really do. And he's, he's even longer. I mean, he's got this, yeah. this absurd wingspan, like his, his wingspan to height differential is nearly unparalleled. I think there's yeah. maybe, you know, one or two guys, like I think Reggie Jackson, oddly, and um, maybe like right. Mo Bamba, but like he's, Mar- Markel Fultz is like six three, like six ten. He, yeah. he he's up there, but but yeah, exactly. Well, Horton Tucker is like what six four to seven feet, something like yeah. that. It's I mean, something got, crazy. Yeah, and I mean that's obviously that's not everything. We we obviously re- we I think we read into wingspan a little too much sometimes, but you can see it in a practical sense in his game and um, just his ability to finish. He's got this knack, just this touch. Uh, he, he's such a good finisher, and his his shot looks a lot better. That was kind of the big swing skill with him was his shooting where it's like he's gradually improved ever since high school and then if you look back to his time in the g league last season and then in the bubble and um i have this theory where like guys with really long arms like that you know it's hard to have a like a compact efficient shooting motion when you've got these absurdly long arms like we see this with all these guys with long arms and uh he seems to maybe have figured it out though because it looks it looks a lot quicker a lot smoother um, it looks like he's adapted properly, just just in the small sample size we've seen in preseason. So, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a role. Um, he's got a lot of defensive upside with that length and just his just his build. I mean, being six four, two forty or whatever he is, he's a fucking tank. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about that kid, but I'm just tempering my expectations where it's like I don't know, maybe this isn't the year, but it would be next year if it's not this year. But he's a player. No, I'm all good to have the Taylor Horn Tucker conversation because I think if if I would have wrote this list of questions a week later, he probably would have been the question. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going off of what I had written down, obviously, but um, it, it's been really interesting to watch him, especially in this preseason. Because if you look back, and Cole, feel free to agree or disagree with me on the evaluation of him coming out of college, but I, I kind of looked at him as like this 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 doughy guard who had this insanely long wingspan who you knew was definitely going to come in, play some good defense, rebound the ball well for his position. And then he, he was smart enough. He showed enough playmaking skill to be able to make others around him better. But I didn't see this crafty of a scorer when, when, when he was in college. And that to me, it's not even necessarily just like the standstill shooting stroke, but the, the ways that he's getting to the basket and scoring off the dribble have really impressed me. I didn't know he had this kind of polish and craft to his game and maybe that's just something he's gotten that much better at since he's been out of college but that wasn't part of my eval when he was coming out of college yeah i certainly didn't see that at iowa state Uh, if you remember a georgetown player by the name of lj peak i thought taylor horton tucker was like just a little bigger lj peak honestly um and he went undrafted a couple years back uh to your point nate the polish that he's showing like the way I see him finish in the lane, that his footwork is impeccable. He get he uses he changes up his footwork to get by defenders. It's, it's incredible for a kid coming kind of coming out of nowhere to show that type of nuance to his drive and layup package already. Yeah, he's got a little hard in him with that. Um, I'll just it's funny because I'm not a huge college basketball guy. Like as much as I'm intrigued by these young guys and I like to make these kind of projections, like I didn't I didn't watch him that much uh, in college, but. I watched a lot of him at Simeon. Uh, and at that point, he was just like this man child. Like, I remember thinking when I saw him, like, 
this dude is 26 years old. Like, there's no way this kid is 17. Like, when you looked at him, because he looked just like he does now. Right. Um, he just looked older. He was physically so developed. And so in high school, like, you know, he he used that to his advantage. Like, he was just overpowering guys. He was, like, dunking on guys. Um, he, he was just using, like, his physical advantages. So I, to, to echo what you guys said, like, I did not see any of this craftiness. I didn't know he had this in him. But, like, yeah, when you get to the league, like, that's when – you need to use that shit and he definitely has it. He's got a great feel. So um, yeah, he's an exciting prospect. Like he's not like a traditionally exciting player, but you know, in terms of like just his potential as an NBA player, it's really exciting. Cause he could no, be really good. He, he's, he's one of those guys. Like if you're like a true hoop head, like you just yeah. smile watching the kid play. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. god, this he is does, what I picture a basketball player to be. He does so many little things right. I mean, right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he should, have, he should have no problem replacing Avery Bradley in the uh, playoff picture for the Lakers, considering Bradley was not there last year. He is objectively better than Avery Bradley right now. I don't even care. Like yeah, I'm just no, gonna say is. that. I really I think agree. he is. Like I'm. I don't think Avery Bradley is that good. Like. They did not miss him. I thought his contributions were overrated during the regular season. I don't think he's going to be an important player for Miami. Like, I, I don't think he's that good. And, you know, he was a guy who was really highly regarded coming out of high school and just never lived up to it. And I, He's so small. Like, I would rather have THT, like, in a vacuum, um, even at 19 years old or whatever he is. But I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not the biggest. I'm kind of an Avery Bradley hater, so, you know, you might want to discard that opinion i'm a little biased no no it's it's all good I, i'm i'm there i think i can get on that ship pretty much avery bradley was always one of those guys that really intrigued me because that was like one of the old what's your eye test tell you about his defense versus what do the numbers say because the numbers always tanked his defensive impact no, he's Yet, great if you watch games you're like this guy's a ball hawk right so that, that that was always a fascinating part about the the bradley debate but Moving on from the Lakers, I mentioned that there was a team, at least one, that I'm looking at clear as day that's going to challenge for the top record in the West. I'm going to move ahead a few spots here in the questions list. That's the Denver Nuggets. Um, and, and my big question about the Nuggets, Cole, I'll go to you for this one. Um, is Michael Porter Jr. ready to take a star-level leap? Or did we see the peak of what he can be in the NBA already in the bubble? So I'll say no to both. Um, I don't think we've seen him peak at all because I definitely think there's more of a little bit of playmaking in him than we've seen. Definitely grabbing the rebound and, and taking it up court and transition in that sense especially. I don't think the star level leap is coming this year though. Um, if he is averaging 20 a game, it's on pretty poor numbers. And I think there's a, Denver's again dealing with injuries to Will Barton and Gary Harris. To me, those are the two guys Denver needs to be healthy at the end of the year if they really want to make this this championship run. Um, they're their X factors. They do great things on defense and they can both play make to a little bit as well. It really gives that offense a ton of levels that it doesn't have without them. Um, so no, I don't think MP MPJ is ready to take that star level leap. I think he's, this is the year he like consistently stays healthy. And then next year we, we see that big leap. Brad, what are your thoughts on, on MPJ? I know that you've, you've certainly yeah. been really high on him and you've, you've been one to, to come out and sing his praises for sure. Yeah, I've been high on him for, you know, since high school. I mean, I, I want to say it was been like, you know, five years ago was maybe the first time I heard about him. He dunked from the free throw line in a high school game. And that like 
turn my attention to him. And ever since then, I've sort of been keeping an eye on him. I mean, there's only so many guys in the history of the NBA that are like a legit 6'10 that can do what he does. To be honest, it might just be him and Kevin Durant. Like, I mean, he's he's in a very elite class in terms of that. Um, and and when he, I, you know, I think early in that in the first quarter of this first like breakout game in the bubble, I was just like, this might be who he is from now on. I was like, there's a non-zero chance that he's just a star that he could lead the the, the Nuggets in scoring this season. Um, the twenty point per game thing, I think, is very realistic. Uh, if I had to bet. I would say he does average 20 points a game this season, assuming he can stay healthy. So if you want to call that a star leap, like I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star or all NBA, but I think he can be a 20 point per game wing this season, um, assuming he stays healthy. And my question is this, like um, I have not watched him in the preseason yet. I, I, assume he's still playing with that brace that he always plays with for his drop foot. Um, he's, you know, he's played with it his entire time in the NBA. It's, it's almost hard to notice when you watch him play, but it holds his foot in place. And that's the thing where when he can get rid of that, when his foot doesn't need to be supported anymore, because from his back surgeries, like I'm sure you guys know, like that was one of the side effects that's, that's kind of lasted is like he had some nerve damage and he can't hold his foot up all the way. So he plays with this like stiff brace. And if you look closely, you see it and it holds his foot up and cause he has drop foot and, and, and drop foot tends to clear up with time. And when that shit clears up for him, I think he could go to a whole nother level athletically. Cause you could even see in the bubble, like when he was going up for lobs, if the timing's right, it's no problem, but everything has to be timed. Like he, he's not um, spontaneously athletic the way that you'd want him to be. And I think it's because of that drop foot. So I have not seen him in the preseason. I'm assuming he's still got the brace, but if that brace ever comes off, I think that's when he goes to the next level, because that means he's got full control of his foot. And I think he could be that much more athletic um, for this season. I'm thinking 20 points a game, Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I think he actually has a chance to lead them in scoring. I think he's going to be their starter from day one. I don't care what Will Barton says. Will Barton has not earned the right to demand a starting role. Um, he's, he's started very few games relative to his whole career. So uh, I don't think it's out of the question. Um, I think it just comes down to like your definition of star. He's not going to be an all-star, but he might average 20 So on a good team. So to me, cool. that's, a, that's a star leap. You you answered the question correctly because I did say star level leap, not all star, because there is right. a difference, and there are stars that don't make the all star team a, 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 every single year, right? I, so I agree. The question. Yeah. So, um, I, I my only thing about MPJ, we you could talk about the health stuff. I think I think the the health stuff has been talked about enough. I don't necessarily need to use that as a talking point anymore. Like the concerns were there in the past. He's pretty much gotten ahead of a lot of the back stuff. The, the foot thing, as you mentioned, is obviously a significant hindrance to him getting better physically. Um, but I think health concerns at the end of the day are always going to be there 
for, for anyone really who's like 6'10 or, or taller, right? Because especially when you talk about getting in the NBA, putting on the kind of muscle that these guys do over time, you're carrying more weight, you're at a size that's not the most natural size for a human being to be operating at at that speed all the time. Like th- th- those things just come into play naturally, right? Like it is what it is. Um, but just in terms of his game, he's got he's to dial it back just a tad. And, and what I mean by that is you'll see him play in a full game and he just jacks up some shots that I go, what the hell are you doing? And, and then he talks about after the game that he, he thinks he's entitled to take these shots and he's entitled to all of these shot attempts. And while I agree with you, Brett, the talent is almost unparalleled. Kevin Durant probably is like the name that you want to compare like the pure talent base to. But at the same time, like, yeah, you might be good enough to make shots. I think everyone can acknowledge that. But the type of shots that he wants to take, just rate it back, to- dial it back a little bit, prove to your coach that you can take and make better shots at a better efficiency, and then maybe the coach is going to start to respect your game a little more and draw up a few more plays for you. I don't know where you guys sit on that end of the spectrum, but to well, no, me, no. I think that's what holds him back. That that's part of it though. Like that's why I think he's going to be a star is because of that mentality. Like that kid legitimately thinks he's one of the five best players in the NBA. I bet he thinks he's the best player on his team. Like I bet whenever oh, he, he goes out on the court, he's the best player on his team. Well, that, that's right. So so for better or worse, like when that kid is out there, he thinks he's the best player on the court, and like we know that he's not right. We know he's not better than Jokic and and probably not Murray either, or a lot of guys in the NBA. Um, but if we're talking about like making a star leap, like that shit does count. Like the belief that when he's, he's coming from that perspective that like, yeah, I'm one of the best players in the NBA. I've been one of the best players in the NBA. There's no question. Like that counts for something. So like, it does. I'm not saying you don't have the confidence. I I love the confidence, but I'm saying it's, I'm saying that's not necessarily a great thing. Like that could be a detriment. It's not necessarily a great thing, but it leads me to believe that he is going to be a perennial, like, 25-point-per-game scorer because just that's the approach he's coming from. Like, I'm that dude. Yeah, man, give me the fucking ball. I'm going to fucking shoot. I'm Like, <laughs> I, I, th- that's all I'm saying. Like, so it, it may not be great, like, in, in the long term. Maybe we would want to see a little more, like, humility from him, but I think he thinks he's one of the best players in the NBA, and I think that's going to translate when you combine it with his talent to a perennial – like 22 to 26 point a game score. And that could start this season. Yeah. And yeah. like, go ahead, Cole, go ahead. No, it was, that, that's why I said, if he does get to the 20 point per game plateau this year, it's probably not going to be the most efficient looking stat uh, shooting right. line rather. Right. Um, look, I, I think nine to 20 and uh, 20 plus, like you even hinted at maybe Brett is a lot. That's what he averaged last season in the regular season, nine a game. Um, he is an offensive freak. No question. I just think that's a huge leap. I, I could see it more being like he averages 16 to 18 in the regular season and then come playoff time, it's a, the next leap happens in front of our eyes during the playoffs and he's their best scorer, hands down. He needs to model himself after Kevin Durant, if, if, if we're going to be honest. like That's who he needs to be watching all the time because Kevin Durant didn't get to the scoring numbers that he's gotten to by taking a lot of the shots that Porter does. And, and I think that Porter needs to realize that. And I think the quicker he realizes that, the higher his scoring total is ultimately going to climb because he's going to be taking much more efficient shots and, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll figure, I, th- I think he will figure it out, which is why Brett that like, 
uh, the star level leap could very well come this season. It just depends how quickly he figures that out. When, when you start taking shots within the flow of the offense, like Kevin Durant does, like Kawhi Leonard does, because that's the talent pool that he's in. That's, that's where he's at, at talent wise, but it's how he, quickly a, he figures that out. Is he a better natural shooter than Kevin was at the same age? It's close. It's very close. It's I, I think, very close. I, yeah, I he's got a better look. He's got a better looking shot. Yeah. yeah, I think I think he is, and I think what he makes up for in that little bit of shooting he lacks in getting to the rim like Kevin did and wanting to be on the foul line. Hundred percent. That's that's totally fair. But I, yeah, I mean, when I see like I've described him as an elite shooter, like right away, NBA level, right. like you know, we, by NBA standards, this guy is an elite shooter. I mean, yep. his jump shot is is pretty flawless. And then when mm-hmm. you look at his height and his athleticism and his just confidence and willingness and um I mean he's he's a phenomenal shooter at that at at a legit 6'10, if not 6'11. Um he's something special. I think if he had never had an injury, like he might be on a, a similar tra- trajectory to like Durant. I mean I think we might be taught I mean he might have averaged close to 20 as a rookie. I mean who knows? Um, cause he's had some major, uh, injuries and, and complications from them. And he's still dealing with the complications in terms of that drop foot. But if that guy had never, if he had a totally clean bill of health, I mean, he might already be an all-star who knows. I mean, he's got all the talent in the world and he's confident as fuck too. So for better or worse, like it's, he's going to put up numbers. One thing I'll say to, to Cole's point about getting to the basket, I, I, I agree. I don't think he's ever going to get to the basket the way like somebody like a Kawhi or like Kevin Durant no. does. But what he does to make up for that is he is one of the best players at his size hunting for getting and converting on offensive rebounds. Like yeah. that man is always yeah. by the basket to rebound the ball offensively. And if you can fill in some of those gaps with efficient shots like that, and that's something I've always praised him for. Like, like when you see a player attack the attack the glass like that and want to rebound and get easy buckets that way and show that much heart and hustle, that's something to be commended. And, Especially with and, his talent level, his natural oh yeah. talent level. Oh yeah. So it's ironic that like it's it, it's ironic that like he he operates like that and he has the mentality to do that, but then you see him like take shots on like the complete other end of the spectrum. So that's he he's he's got to figure some of it out. I think he will. I don't know how quickly he's going to figure it out, but I think either either side of the corn here um, is a valid argument, 100%. So next I want to talk about a really intriguing team to me. Um, got a lot more intriguing in the offseason with the Chris Paul trade, and that's the Phoenix Suns. Um, but we, we can talk about the obvious. We can point out the Chris Paul. Chris Paul is the world. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. I want to talk about two guys that don't get enough love and I think are due to get more love. So, uh, Cole, I'll go to you since I know that you like both of these guys. You like talking about one especially. Is there a leap to be had for Mikael Bridges and Cameron Johnson this year? You're going to have to remind me which one I like talking about especially because <laughs> I don't really mention Mikael because of what happened with the Zaire trade. and Cam Oh, Johnson. come on. You know you like Mikael Bridges. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. No, Mikhail's a great player. If anybody takes a leap this year, I think it's him. Uh, and really, I do think that because he's healthy out of training camp. And I think the Phoenix rotation is going to get locked in pretty quickly. And Cam will be a part of it. But that starting five is really going to get locked in pretty quick. And uh, I just think they're going to ride them real heavy to see what they have in that starting five. So that come playoff time, that they know what they're working with. Um, Cam Johnson, to me, 
I think it's just more of a is like he needs good players around him to make him the best player, the best version of Cam Johnson possible. And Mikhail's got a little bit more ability to put the ball on the deck and do stuff for others as well as do stuff for himself. Yeah, yeah. it's um I mean that's a tough question. So it's like what what kind of leap are these guys gonna make? Uh I mean, I think it's gonna be a little more gradual with these two guys, just for a number of reasons. Um, let's see, like I guess first of all, just the nature of their games. They're kind of specialists. Like to me, Mikhail is kind of like a defensive specialist. I think he's an elite defensive wing. Uh, without question like a top five defensive wing in the nba and then uh and cameron johnson's a shooter like that's his specialty right and i don't think we're gonna see a ton um from those two guys this coming season outside of their specialties like mikhail can definitely do some things offensively there's no question um but I think defense is really his calling card and, and, and with cam three point shooting is his calling card. And then also just the depth that that team has at forward where, you know, it's like it's Mikhail and cam. And then, but then you've got Jay Crowder who they brought in. Um, They drafted Jalen Smith. They brought back Dario Saric. So I don't think either of them is going to see like a huge increase in playing time. If anything, it could be a slight decrease, um, you know, from last year. And then the last thing is just like their age. I believe they're both 24. I think Cam is almost 25. And that's not to say that like they've hit their ceiling, like they can't get any better. But I just think at that age, like we're not going to see a drastic leap from either of them. Um, And look, I think Mikhail Bridges can be an all-defensive team player this year. I think he will be. I, that guy in the bubble, like, that's some of the best wing defense I've ever seen, like, from anybody. I mean, he, he is elite. I think he's going to make an all-defensive team. So if you want to look at that as a huge leap, then he's going to take it. But I think he was doing it last season, and I think he's just going to finally kind of get the recognition he deserves this coming season so i don't see it as a huge leap i think it's going to be a little more gradual from those guys but um i think they're both going to be very important pieces uh for this sun's team without question yeah i guess i guess it it matters what your definition of a leap is i agree with that um and notice i, I in in the like a little disclaimer in the question i didn't necessarily like specify what type of leap or how big of a leap but i definitely think that people are going to talk about mikhail bridges a lot more and I think that's going to happen, not only because the Suns are obviously going to be a better team than they were. They're, they're going to mirror and, and probably end up outperforming to a degree what they did in the bubble um, th- this season. But I think it's because of Chris Paul. And, and when you talk about the Chris Paul edition, I don't know how much he was brought there to necessarily um, help the betterment of Devin Booker. I think he takes some pressure off of Booker. And if you want to make that argument and say that that does make Booker better because it didn't have as much pressure on him as a ball handler all the time, fine. But I think Booker's going to do the same things that Booker was doing, right? Like, I don't, I think if Booker makes like another leap, it's going to be because of him getting better, not anything that Chris Paul is necessarily bringing to the table. Chris Paul was really, he's really there to make DeAndre Ayton a lot better than Devin Booker has. And I think to that extent, he can also help guys like Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson uh, be better off the ball offensively 
um, taking more advantage of those skills because um, Mikhail did a lot of stuff in college that I haven't necessarily seen him get the chance to do a ton in the NBA and in, in the NBA with like his off ball cutting. Um, the same can be said about Cameron Johnson. He was shown in the bubble that obviously he brings the spot up shooting to the table, but he's also a willing cutter and a willing mover off the ball. So I think when you're playing with a great passer like Chris Ball, uh, Chris Ball, somebody who knows how to get guys like that into position for those kind of looks, I think that's only going to benefit them more. And on another notion, we also saw Mikhail Bridges do more with the ball off the dribble in the bubble than we've seen yes. in the past. And I definitely, I'm happy to see that that's becoming a more regular part of his game because that's what intrigued me so much, especially his, his last year at Villanova was that he was starting to do a lot more of that and become more of a featured scoring option. And then he ended up being that for that Villanova team that had great success. And I think he can do a lot of the same things in the NBA. He just, he, he hasn't really gotten the chance to do a lot of those things, but I think having someone like Chris Paul who knows how to run a team knows when to get guys certain looks how to teach other guys how to get open for other types of looks I think that's only going to benefit those two guys especially Mikhail Moore and I think when you bring all of that together along with Brett as you outlined his defensive impact which is tremendous it's going to be tremendous he that's just the kind of player that he is I think we're going to be talking about Mikhail Bridges a lot more this year than we have in years past so maybe that's the kind of leap that I'm talking about I think that's a interesting and, and actually a very great way to look at the Phoenix Suns starting unit with Devin's going to do Devin type things, but Chris Paul is going to lift the other four, three guys, excuse me, up uh, to new heights because, I mean, there's not really much more, like you said, Nate, that Chris Paul can do for Devin Booker. Devin Booker has gotten to where he is because he's Devin Booker. Um, and he can do anything he wants to on the court with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. These other guys, not so much just yet. Um, we're starting to see that come out of bridges a little bit more. Um, but like you said, it's, yeah, Chris Paul is really going to do wonders for these for Aiton, Bridges, and Cameron Johnson. Um, I'm looking at Bridges' stat line right now. This dude shot 61% on two-point field goals last year. Uh, with, that was without Chris Paul. I, I just I'm marveling at the type of efficiency that Bridges might showcase this year, being the fourth or fifth option in that offense. Brett, I know you love Chris Paul for for DeAndre Ayton. I know you're talking up Ayton about how he's going to have a huge season, and I agree. I think a monster campaign yeah. is on the way for DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I, yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I think we're going to see, I don't know, you want to talk about numbers, maybe 20 and 12. Uh, I mean, last season was, it was sad that he had to miss such a good chunk of it. Um, the Suns would have been a playoff team if he had not missed those 25 games. Like, in no question, um, they might have been like a seven seed. Like, they would have been right there. Uh, and, but when he did play, I mean, you could just see it. He's got some things to work on. I actually, I went to quite a few Suns games in person last season, and they're remarkably cheap. So I was able to sit like essentially courtside. Uh, for most of them, I think I I drove out from San Diego to about five or six Phoenix Suns games last season. And, my my observation with Aiton is just like he would take these jump shots from like 10 feet out when it's like, dude, you could just drop step or like, you know, power dribble and, and dunk it. And, and he, he has this weird um, obsession with taking jump shots when it's like, why are you taking like a 10, 12, 15 foot jump shot? Like you could so easily get a dunk on that same play. Uh, I think, you know, I think he's going to going to improve on that. And once he does and. Um, obviously the Chris Paul effect 
I have very high hopes for him. I, I don't know that he'll be an all-star this season, but I don't think that's off the table. Um, I think we could be talking about him six months from now as like a top five, maybe six center in the NBA. I don't think that's far-fetched at all. So yeah, my expectations for him are high. My expectations for Phoenix are high. I have them as like a top six team in the West. I think they're going to be really good. Um, Chris Paul and Aiton could be uh, ridiculous. Chris Paul has never had a guy like DeAndre Aiton, right? Nope. Like we, no. we, we look back at uh, who we go all the way back. Tyson David Chandler, West. right? Right. Dave, David West and Tyson Chandler on the Hornets. Like, okay. Like Tyson Chandler was a great vertical threat, a great lob target, but like um, he's not DeAndre Aiton. And then, you know, you go DeAndre Jordan, very limited offensive player. He really could only do one thing. Um, Aiton can Chris, pop. Chris Paul made DeAndre Jordan. He did. That's why we haven't seen anything from DeAndre Jordan since. So we're not going to see anything this year in Brooklyn probably from that guy. Um, he can finish a lob, sure. DeAndre Ayton can do that too, but he can also pop and shoot a little bit. So I think DeAndre Ayton's the best big Chris has ever had. And that's got to count for something. So, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm super high on him and pretty high on the team altogether. It's between them and Portland in like that 5-6 range in the West. Yeah, I'm a Portland fan, so. A little biased, but yeah, he's he's been making bigs better. You talked about DeAndre Jordan. He he absolutely. Stephen Adams definitely benefited from having Chris Paul as well. Yeah, that short time with the Thunder, with the Thunder, and it's only going to get better for for DeAndre. And yeah, we're we're all excited about the Phoenix Suns. God, I can't I can't wait till the regular season starts. Rally Um, boys. Yeah. (laughs) Moving on, we're we're not going to spend a lot of time on these next two teams here. I just want to knock out these questions quick. Um, the Kings, I don't really see a lot interesting to talk about with the Kings. If we want to be talking heads, sure, we can talk about De'Aaron Fox and how good he is and how good we think he can be. But to me, the, the other side of the coin is, what, can we expect anything from Marvin Bagley? Like, I, I, I think the guy's career, it, it's on the verge of being shot with how many times he's been injured and how he just, he just can't stay healthy. Like, every time he shows a glimpse of what we think he, he could have been, he gets hurt and he's off the court and he's out for not just like a little bit of time, extended periods of time. Can I I ask you guys a question as like, you guys are like scouts. Like you really, you know, this shit on a different level than I do. Um, But watching Marvin Bagley, something's missing. Like, I don't know if it's, if you want to call it feel or judgment um, because Look, when I watch him play, I'm like, okay, if this guy could ever learn how to shoot, he'd be really valuable. And I think he's improved as a shooter. And, um, but like, but still, even with that, I just feel like there's something missing with Marvin Bagley. He kind of gets this tunnel vision. Um, I don't know what it is, but something just seems off with him. And I just wonder if you guys see that too. As I have a, I have a good answer this. for this. I'll, I'll yeah, like, that's what I'm looking for. Answer first. But I'm curious to hear what Cole has to say about this one, then I'll give my answer. What's what's missing? Yeah, so I you could go any number of directions here. I think part of it for Marvin is that he's always just been such an exceptional athlete at every level that he hasn't slowed the game down to the point where he needs to in the NBA to figure out the types of things he needs to do to succeed. Whether you can teach somebody that, I don't know. Uh, I have not worked on a player development staff. And whether that just comes with time and reps. I don't know, again, and he's not getting those reps having been hurt so often like you guys have mentioned. I still think he's one of the guys that, like, 
you could also say he's just barely scraping the surface of what he's capable of in the NBA. Um, Give him two healthy years and maybe we start to see something like that. Uh, My answer to the question that I wrote down was like, realistically, we're going to see injuries because that's what he's shown shown us so far. Um, But hopefully he doesn't get hurt. And if he does, it's not that long. And we start to see him put it together this year because I agree. I think he has gotten better as a shooter. Um, I think playing next to Whiteside could honestly help him a lot, not having the bruise down low all game. Um, so we'll see. So my, my answer to the question goes back to when I evaluated him coming out of Duke. And when Cole, Cole and I worked on the same staff, um, as I mentioned on the last podcast, and when I brought up to that staff and we were talking about Marvin Bagley, my, my phrase for him was that he was the NBA's, he was going to be the NBA's version of Silly Putty. And what I mean by that is you could quite literally mold him into almost any kind of player that you can think of. Like there, there are absolute qualities to his game that he can operate as a five, both offense and defense. There's qualities to his game that he can be like a power forward in the mold of like an Amari Stoudemire. Like I thought that was probably a good development path for, for him to follow and a good way for him to be used on the court. He, he has enough ball skills and enough off-ball potential, and as you guys talked about the shooting coming along, you, you can viably use him and develop him as like a three in, in certain types of lineups mm-hmm. depending on what he has around him. So I, I think when you have a special player like that, obviously the injuries don't help, and that certainly played a part into it, but is, is, is the Sacramento Kings, is that really the team that is great at developing people? Or are, have they been better historically at using kind of how a guy is when he comes into the organization? Um, yeah. Like, like that, that's the thing. It's like Marvin Bagley was always going to be a developmental project, and he went to one of the worst possible developmental situations that he could have went to. Now, I will say to his benefit, he has De'Aaron Fox next to him to help him out because De'Aaron Fox was always going to be a player who got better by his own accord. He, he has all the talent to be one of the best point guards in the league. The question is, how far can he take himself? But he's always been able to make the guys around him better. And having a point guard who is an exceptional passer and a really smart guy in his own right only helps Marvin Bagley achieve whatever kind of ceiling that the Kings have for him. But I don't think the Kings have figured out how to use him yet. And I think that's probably been the biggest detriment to why we haven't seen more out of Marvin Bagley when he has been healthy. So yeah, let it, me f- it, flip the question real quick. What what do we think would be a successful year for Marvin Bagley this year? Is it, you know, 60 of 72 games and he's averaging 18 to 20? Is it yeah. a full season of health in the same numbers? I think that would be kind of a, a not a success if he's still putting in 14, 15 a game. You know, I think I, I think you want to see 18 and 9 from the guy because um, yeah. I think the potential is there to do that. Uh yeah, Nathan, like to what you said, and we, I think we talked about this on either our podcast or a previous episode of this one where like, um, he could like, I, that's what I thought he was when he was coming out. I was like, this guy could be a three. Cause I saw him live and it's like, this dude moves like a three. Like he is yeah. really fast, really agile. Um, he looks like a wing and it came out that he's not actually six eleven. He's more like six, eight, six, nine. I think he could be a wing, but that shooting is going to be a big part of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like the, the thing is like, he's got all the opportunity in the world, right? Like his ideal version is exactly what the Kings need right now. So like it's there for him if he can do it. 
And I don't doubt that they're going to give him the opportunity. Um, So, like, am I – I don't think – I don't see him as, like, a 20 and 10 guy this year. But, like, I think that's what they need. And that's what his ceiling is. But, yeah, it's just – there's so many things with him. It's just in terms of, like, the health and the – I do question his basketball IQ watching him play. I don't think it's great. Uh, but he, he's a tough one. I remember seeing this question when I first looked at him and like, I don't feel confident answering it either way. I think they need him to be good. They want him to be good. I think he's exactly what they need. Um, but he's just, he's got so many question marks. And I just, when I watch him, I've watched a lot of him. I really have. And every time it's like, there's something missing with this guy. Because the physical talent is there. The basketball talent is there. And it's just like there's something missing. And is he ever going to fill that in? And I know with guys in the past that I've been high on, it's been like ah, there's something missing. And it never comes together. Hopefully that will be different for him. Yeah, his his feel might just be undercooked, his feel for the game. And yeah, I'll be honest, I was kind of transitioning out of scouting for the year when he was getting drafted. So, I mean, you've probably seen a lot more of him than I have, Brett. And I'd, I'd probably take your word over mine if you think his feel is a little blitzed. If I, I had, st- if I had to sum it up, that's how, probably how I would put it. Is like the, the feel is just a little bit lacking. I still think he needs to be used a lot more in pick and roll because I, I I still think that he could be one of the better pick and roll players in the league. Only because you, you see a guy. So when you evaluate like a like a like a rolling big man, right? You the the main qualities you want to look for are. Is he strong enough to absorb the contact on the screen to still be able to roll off quickly and then tr- project towards the basket, right? Like project yourself towards the basket and then get to where he needs to go on the roll. Um, that's why a guy like Montrose Harrell's so good at what he does because it's not that he's like the biggest guy in the court, but he's strong enough to absorb the contact. And then in turn, he's he has the quickness to be able to turn towards the basket and he has the footwork to do that. Well, I think Marvin Bagley can be an even better version of that because he's a much better athlete than Montrose Harrell. He's so much quicker, Brett, as you pointed out, than, than somebody like a Montrose Harrell. So I think he could be a monster in, in pick-and-roll actions, but I haven't seen him really used that way in Sacramento. Yeah. And that was my evaluation on him. I thought that that was his best path to immediate success in the NBA. And once you get to a point where he's so good at something that defenses have to play into that and they start playing into that more, then you can start to figure out some of the other parts of his game to diversify his offensive skill set enough to the point where the defense can't just lock in on one aspect, right? But he still needs to be able to produce in some way to justify his, his, where he was drafted and his standing on the team. So that's still where I think that the Kings can ultimately look to use him. But are they going to figure that out? What do they want to do with him? We don't know what their plans even are for him. So, yeah, I, I don't know what we can expect. I agree, Brett. I don't I don't really know the answer to the question. I don't know how much we can expect, especially given his health. He, he could be one of the sadder stories um, in the God, league, certainly in the times I've one. been doing scouting. It's tough. It's tough. That I, was I, a I tough one. It. Of all the questions I saw, I think that was the toughest one because it's like he really could go either way, and I just don't know enough to – say one way or another i mean i don't even want to say i'm optimistic or i'm not optimistic i'm just like let's just see you know i I just need i just need to see it yeah i think it's important to remember that the injuries he has sustained haven't been any any really of the magnitude where you're like oh god like another one of those and he's potentially out of the league because of physical issues so at least that isn't you know on the doorstep for him 
but he, he needs to get going. He needs to get he needs to get playing. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other the other team I didn't really want to spend a ton of time on um, was the Minnesota Timberwolves. And my my question we we know what D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are. My question was more about Anthony Edwards since this was a scouting podcast. And my question was how quickly can we expect Anthony Edwards to adjust mm. on both ends of the floor? I'll just put it out there. I'll just give my answer right off the bat. It's going to take a while. And we, we've seen that in the preseason, and it's it hasn't looked good. Um, I think he had some bright spots. His last game, I, I saw him making a lot more shots with confidence, but his overall feel for the game, it, it's lacking as we kind of thought it would be coming out of college, and it's it's really going to take him a while to adjust. Can I drop a hot take? Are we doing that on these pods? Are we allowed? Yes, please. All right. Jalen Noel is going to be better than Anthony Edwards this year. Wow. That is he's a been, hot – that's a spicy take, but – he He's been lighting it up. Uh, I mean, you don't have to look further than Nate and I for two big Jalen Well fans. Um, yeah. And don't have to look further than me for one not too big Anthony Edwards fan. So. <laughs> was was Noel on the Lakers last year? No, the T-Wolves drafted him in the second. He's just only stashed. been on the T-Wolves. Yep, just stashed him in the G League last year where he torched it. Yep. I'm thinking of uh, – what's that dude's name? Well, regardless. Yeah, I watched the uh, I watched the T-Wolves game the other night, though, and he was absolutely – Are you thinking him. about Norvell? Are you thinking yep. about yep. Zach, Zach Norvell? Yeah, Zach. That's exactly Zach. what I was thinking about. I'm not <laughs> – yeah, I was thinking about Zach Norvell. I'm not I'm not that familiar with either guy. Um, but I, I saw Noel the other night, and he was kind of killing it. Uh, I, I'll just say – I mean, yeah, I, I'll echo what you said, man, with Ant-Man. Like, it's, it's going to be a little while. I actually think he's going to adjust defensively probably before offensively um but just with the structure of their team i don't think they're going to ask too much of him right off the bat and maybe that was always the plan like when they brought back beasley um in addition to culver and a kogi and rubio and russell it's like you know they're they're positioned to not ask too much of this kid and and maybe that's a good thing because i don't think he's um, I don't think you should be asking too much of him right now. He, he's got a ways to go, and they know that. Uh, would he have been my number one pick for them? No, but that's who they took, and um, it, it could. I'm not down on it. I mean, it could still work out fine for them, but people are just gonna have to be patient. I know. I know the poor kid's gonna get killed. Like when when he comes out and has like his first, you know, two of twelve game. Like people are just gonna kill him, but. I think we all just need to be patient, and I think the defense will probably come around first, if anything. I guess like you get you guys hear me talk all the time about like a young guy breaking into a rotation or like being a mainstay in a rotation. You have to do at least one thing really well, right? Like, what's your skill to get your foot in the door to an NBA rotation? And his skill should be just being able to make open jump shots, not necessarily being asked to do everything off the dribble right away because he's not going to figure that out yet. Um, clearly, he hasn't. He's probably not going to much this year. Um, maybe he'll start showing some flashes this year, but that's going to be a thing like year two, year three, where he really starts to expand that part of the game. But being able to make open jump shots, what, what, one of the things that Ray Allen always preached, one of the best shooters that we've ever seen, period, was that your jumper has to be consistent. Every single time, it has to be consistent. Anthony Edwards' jump shot changes from, from jump shot to jump shot. Like I saw his highlights from the other night, and he, he his form literally looked different on every single shot. Now, that night, he was able to make those shots, and those shots were going in. But that's not always going to be the case if your form isn't consistent. Like, his base is just all over the place. He's, he's, he has his, he's completely, like, upright on one shot. The next shot, he's, like, kicking his feet out. Like, he's, he's all over the place. And I can't, 
I can't really pick that up. And that's something I never really picked up when I was evaluating him. So if, if that's as much of an inconsistency off the bat as I thought it was coming out, and I think that it's going to be, that just creates so many problems for everything else that he's doing. Because if he's not a reliable jump shooter, teams are leaving him open. He starts not being um, unconfident in that part of his game. Then you go to like his off-ball scoring. Like, well, how can he contribute off the ball? Can he be a good cutter? Can, can he move without the ball effectively? Can, can he draw the defense and draw attention away from other guys in that respect? And that's always been a question to me because I don't think he's that smart of a player. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't like that. That's been talked about enough in those flashes. Like that evidence is there. So if he's not really doing a lot on the ball, if he can't really just make a lot of open jump shots, if he's not going to be that great of an off ball player, then what the heck is he? Like, how is he earning minutes? How is he justifying the minutes that he's going to get right away? And how is he making an impact for a team that quite frankly, I don't think is going to be very good. They have all-star talent, but I don't think the team as a collective is going to be very good. And to Cole's point, um, it is a hot take to say the least, but I, I'm also a fan of Jalen Noah. I don't know if I'm ready to co-sign that hot take <laughs> just yet, but I can see where Cole's coming from because Jalen Noel is a much more polished scorer overall, and he can contribute offensively in more ways than one. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. He can make open jump shots. When he's called upon off the catch, he can do some things off the dribble. He also is probably an underrated guy at making others better around him and just maybe not necessarily being like a, a passing wizard, but at least seeing the open makes. read. Yeah, he's yeah. seeing the he open read the right and play. just making – exactly. So, yeah, I, 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 I could come around to that take pretty, pretty quickly if things I, start really going I, south. I think it's super alarming that you're noticing Anthony Edwards' inconsistency with his, his lower half on his jump shot. Um, he didn't shoot a good percentage in college, and we're already, you're already seeing something like that. I, I was trying to, you know, Nate, you've known I'm not, I haven't been the biggest Anthony Edwards guy from jump, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I've trying to been put, I've been trying to put words to it for quite some time, and I think I've gotten a little closer to it recently. And I think it's he's the wrong type of athletic for an NBA shooting guard. This dude is a running back athlete, and shooting guards are graceful in the NBA and a little bit more swift. And yeah, he's got body control and he's explosive and all that. But I just, to me, that's not an NBA shooting guard. I think he's the, I think it's the wrong body and physical package for an NBA shooting guard. That's an interesting point. Now that is a really interesting point. And I agree with you. Um, honestly, his, my comp for him, like his ceiling comp was Zach Levine. I think at this point, Brett, I might be underselling Zach Levine making that comp. <laughs> Zach Levine have- is much more of a crafty scorer than, than what we might be giving him credit for with that comp. I compared him to Isaiah Ryder. That's always been my comp for him. And it's funny he ended up getting drafted by the Wolves because I've been saying that for a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering about <laughs> I'm wondering about the shot, man. Like, I'm almost like this guy still needs to learn how to shoot. <laughs> That's like a major concern. And, like, that type of athleticism that you talk about, Cole, like, they – Gerson Rosas talked about it where he's like, you know – D'Lo and Cat are like these kind of smooth, polished athletes and basketball players. And this dude and Ant-Man's like this just raw, you know, physical kind of freak. Bull in a china shop, exactly. And it's like, maybe that's not a great thing. Um, I'm not out on him yet, but I think he's got a ways to go. And I think they could have done better. with. I think they should have just drafted LaMelo. But, uh, hey. 
what 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 can you do? Um, I don't I don't know. I'm not out on him. We'll we'll, we'll see, but I don't think I don't think he's gonna win Rookie of the Year. <laughs> for for all the talk that Lamelo needs to work on his shot, uh, I'd take Lamelo's shot right now over Anthony Edwards. I, I think I would too. Yep. Fair enough. I, I don't disagree. Um, I'm going to try to keep it moving a little bit here with some of the more cut and dry questions that I think there's probably going to be another one or two that end up becoming more long form answers. But um, another cut and dry question I have Oklahoma city thunder can SGA a guard that I know for a fact that we all love, can he mm-hmm. make an all-star level leap this year? Um, I think his play ultimately could project him to like that, that kind of like a, a talking point. But I don't think that there's really a chance that he becomes an all-star just because I don't think the team's going to be very good around him. And that does matter when you're talking about voting for an all-star. So I, I personally, I'm not doubting SGA saying that. I just don't see it in the cards. I don't know how you guys feel about that. No, there's no way he makes an all-star team this year. I, you know, it would not shock me if SGA never makes an all-star team. Oh, like, oh no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, no, it just it wouldn't shock me. Like, dude, CJ McCollum's never made an all-star team. Right. It falls into that territory. That's the first name I thought of as soon as I said that. Right. Oh. Like border. I, I almost think like, I'm not going to say it's his ceiling, but I could see him as that guy. That's kind of like CJ, like always right there. But I wonder about his ceiling. Like, is this guy too. a, right. Is this guy like a, a real star or is he kind of just like a 20 points, five rebounds, five assists, really nice player. Like that might be his absolute ceiling. So I, I don't know. I, I definitely not this year. And I wonder if he'll ever make an all-star team. And like, that's not a knock on him. I just don't know if he's quite at that level. When you think about what the West looks like, like, I don't think he's a superstar. I don't think he'll ever be a superstar. I think he's a star, but we talked about this earlier. Does star mean all-star? Nope. He could be one of those stars that doesn't make the all-star team. And I don't think it's going to happen this year to answer the question. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it happens this year either. In fact, I think maybe this year we even see Shea struggle for the first time a little bit in the NBA. Um, this will definitely be his first crack at really running the show full-time. Uh, it's his team. He doesn't really have that number two scoring option next to him uh, like he did last year with CP3 and then LA obviously with a bunch of vets and a very good coach in Doc Rivers. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we might actually see SGA take – maybe not like a step back, but people kind of be like, oh, like maybe that ceiling of superstar isn't there, like you said, Brett. Um, he definitely struggled in the playoffs too. And I think that's a, mm-hmm. I think that can identify, you know, who's got what type of ceiling in the long run. Wow. I, think ba- I think Baisley has a higher ceiling than SGA. I'll tell you that right now. I think Baisley has a higher ceiling. If you're talking about the two, I think that's their future at this point. You know, maybe Poku to a, a lesser extent. Maybe right. Dort, although I question whether that guy knows how to play basketball sometimes when I watch him. Yeah. Um, but, geez, it's, it's so bad sometimes. But, uh, but I think SGA and Baisley are their guys. And I think Baisley has the higher ceiling of the two. And, um, Nathan, you know, like, Baisley's pretty much my favorite player in Baisley's the NBA. Your boy. He He's your my boy. guy. He's my guy. So I don't need to talk about him too much, but. But seriously, objectively, all bias aside, I think he's actually got a higher upside than SGA. Um, SGA obviously has the higher floor. I think SGA's floor is like a borderline all-star. But I just wonder how much he he how much higher than that he he is in terms of upside. Like his he's, he's sort of like his, Tobias, but for guards. Like the offense is ooh, nice. That's that's a great comp. The, the like offense that. is nice. He puts up the numbers, but it's not like he's the team carrier in the long run. 
He's not the aircraft carrier that people think that's he is. A, that's a great comp. Tobias, but for guards, yeah. I can definitely see that. And that's not a knock on him at all. Tobias no, is a fantastic player. Like they're, yeah, they're great players. They make a lot Tobias of money. Just like, got paid, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're just not they're just not aircraft carriers, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. Wow. The pressure's on SGA from the draft deeper podcast. You heard it here first. <laughs> times time's going. So um, another cut and dry question, Utah Jazz. What 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 does Mike Conley have left in the tank? Because we saw that there needs to be something there for the Utah Jazz to do anything, or else it's going to be another pretty quick swan song for them in the playoffs if Donovan Mitchell is the only one who can score on that team. They're stuck. The, the problem is that Conley doesn't have enough in the tank left, and Bogdanovich is now coming off injury and, to begin with, probably didn't have enough in the tank to really compete in the NBA Finals. They need they need some player that's better than Conley and Bogdanovich both, and they need to use the money that they spend on both those players for that player, but that's just not happening. So, in my opinion, Don's on the short list of NBA stars who probably won't be on his current team in the next two, three years. Yeah, I think he's going to get traded to the Knicks. Um, I really do. I, th- <laughs> I think it's going to be like an RJ Barrett deal. Uh, well, I, I think he's going to end up there, but I think he probably will get moved. Uh, I don't love their situation. All right. The question was about Conley specifically. Uh, look in the bubble. I think he showed that he's got a little something left for sure. Um, he had been sort of hampered by this Achilles injury for a few years and even throughout the 2019, 20 season, but then we had the hiatus and he came back for the bubble and he actually looked the best he had looked in like at least two years. But I'll say this for Conley specifically. I don't like the fit of him next to Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Nathan, we have definitely talked about this. I think Donovan Mitchell should be a point guard. I think he should be the point guard point guard, Donovan Mitchell. He's not a two guard. He's six one. He's smaller than me. He's, <laughs> he is he, he is a point guard. Like when they when Conley was out last season and he was like their straight up point guard, they played really well. I just better. think his his best version is a point guard. Think Damian Lillard. I know they're not the same guy, but like that's where I want to see him at. So I don't I just don't like the fit with Conley and him. I don't think he should be I don't I don't like that. It's it's too small. Um just put him as the point guard, let him do his thing, let him develop in that role. So I don't like – I think Conley has something left in the tank, but I don't like the fit next to Donovan Mitchell. If the, if the Jazz are willing to give Donovan Mitchell a little more leash to better understand what it means to actually be a full-time point guard, then I think, to your point, Brett, we, we, we've talked about off the air about how I don't know if he's quite – if he'll ever get there in terms of being like that level of a playmaker, um, just like making other guys better in like certain actions. But – Sure. He can he can be a point guard, and if yeah, if they're willing to give him that kind of a leash to let him learn the nuances of the position, maybe sacrifice like a year or two, but still let him get that experience. It could be for their benefit long term. I don't I don't disagree with that take, um, and and I think that's a pretty astute observation by you, my friend. That's why you're on this podcast. That's why we're talking NBA <laughs> with you. So, um, another straightforward question for the Memphis Grizzlies. If Jaron Jackson Jr. can come back healthy, does he have a shot at an all-star berth? I don't think so this year, no. but it's he, his, his future, though, is, is incredibly intriguing and a brighter one than, than I thought that, that he had coming out of college. Yeah, I mean, it's like a little bit alarming that 
he's not going to be available to start the season. Like he had that procedure quite a while ago, <laughs> right? Like, wasn't that like in the, in the, in, yeah, in the bubble during yep. the bubble. I mean, he went down during the bubble, obviously. Um, so if it's just a meniscus, like, why is he still out? I guess, I don't know that, that that's a little alarming. I mean, I know he'll be back. He's young. Maybe he only misses a couple weeks, but um, you know, he may miss the first month of the season. So I think that precludes him from, you know, being an all-star. I don't think it's going to happen this year to answer the question. Um, I will tell you though, I don't know if any player impressed me more in the bubble or like changed my opinion of them more during the bubble than Jaron Jackson Jr. did. I was blown away by some of the stuff that guy could do like off the dribble. I'm like, you have that in your game? Like, I didn't know that. Like you could just, you could just like, like cross people over spin, go left. Like, I mean, finish with your left. Like he's got, um, he's got some game, man. And, and just as I was getting like so high on him, he, he went down, but he blew me away with what he did in the bubble. I watched, I think every one of their games and, um, that guy is really something when you look at his shooting ability where, you know, he can shoot maybe 40% on seven plus attempts from three per game. Uh, he's one of the best rim protectors in the NBA and then what he can do off the dribble and like his ambidexterity around the rims, like this guy's got some serious game in his age. So I, he's not going to be an all-star this season, maybe not next season, but I just want to see him come back at full strength and pick up where he left off because He's a really special player and he's somebody I was kind of sleeping on. Like, I, I like, I don't know. I was like, Oh, he, he can't rebound. It's like, but then you watch him play and it's like, okay, this is why he doesn't rack up rebounding stats. Like it's a good thing. So I, I definitely, I was wrong about him. I slept on him. Um, but I, I, I was blown away by him in the bubble. So uh, yeah, I just want to see him get back healthy whenever that is, whether it's a couple of weeks or a month or, you know, hopefully he's back by February. Yeah, definitely hope to see him back sooner than February, I hope, um, with both of you in the sense that he's not an all-star this year. But I did write down when, when, you know, writing some thoughts down with these questions that I think he does come back this year, and I think he will outscore Michael Porter Jr., and I think that's going to be a fun wow. argument for years to come. It'll be like KG and Dirk. Uh, I think, yeah, I just think, uh, based off my points with Michael earlier, I just think, like, Denver's a little bit more of a fuller team still. I think he'll struggle with some efficiency issues this year, just trying to stay healthy and on the court for a full season rather than putting up 20 a game. Uh, I think Jaron, like, you know, as soon as he's back, Memphis knows exactly what he needs to do in the offense, and he's a big-time scorer in their offense. So I think this might be the only year he outscores Michael Porter Jr. going forward. But I, I think for this one more year, Jaron Jackson on paper will have the better point-per-game number. I can see that. Yep, I can see that. Another good question that I have for the New Orleans Pelicans. I think this is this should be straightforward. Brandon Ingram has a case here, though, for for being the best player on the team. And that was my question: Who is the best player of the team? At least right now, I think it might actually be Brandon Ingram. I know where Cole's going to go with this. We were talking off the <laughs> air. I think I, I think it, the the quicker that the team falls under Zion's identity, I think the better it's going to be for them long term. But right now, Brandon Ingram has a case to at least be fighting for, for that spot because of the kind of leap he made last year. I don't know where you sit on that the, that debate, Brad. Or at the very least, whose team should it be? That one's tough. I mean, look, Brandon Ingram is one of my favorite players in the league. He's a guy I've been super high on ever since college. Like, just I've, I've 
expended so much energy in telling people that this guy is going to be a star someday. Like when he was on the Lakers and people perceived him as struggling, it was like, no, this guy's legit. He's going to be great. He's going to be great. Um, and, and he finally had his breakout last year. I predicted him as the MIP on my blog the year before, and I was a year early, but uh, he did get it. And he was, there is no question, even when Zion was healthy, he was their best player last year. Like I'm on record saying that on the podcast, I've written about it, no doubt however you want to look at it bi was their best player last season i think this season and look right now brandon ingram is their best player like i know zion put up some good numbers in the preseason game um but he still looks heavy to me he's still not playing any defense he i didn't see him get above the rim once but i think zion is the type of guy that just needs to play himself into shape He's just, he's, he's one of those guys. Like he's just not going to get in shape on his own. And I think by, you know, a month from now, we're going to see Zion at his full athleticism. And I think when that happens, he's going to be their best player. So I think right at this moment, I think BI is their best player, but I think if we're looking ahead, you know, throughout the season, if we revisit this in six months, I think Zion is their best player. I think he's completely unstoppable offensively and i want to see him expand his game obviously like i want to see him take at least one jump shot and um maybe throw down a couple dunks like right now he's just like the layup guy that's what he was in the bubble that's what he, he's been in the preseason he's just really good at layups he can get them anytime he wants it, it's just so weird to me we're like remember him at duke it was like this guy's like one of the greatest dunkers we've ever seen and he was doing it in the preseason when he first came in the league and even when he came back but then from the bubble in this preseason, it's like he plays below the rim. and But he still gets shots, and he has great touch on his layups and great instincts around the rim. So it's not like a bad thing. But um, I think when he gets some of that athleticism back, when he gets a little lighter, um, I think he's going to be their best player, to answer the question. I he's got to become better in the mid-range. And, and I don't know if he can get that much better in the mid-range because it's really funny. His jumper, for, for as high as this man can jump, his jumper is not a jump shot. It's like no. a standing shot. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. But so I don't know how much better he can get, like taking guys like off the dribble and doing stuff like that when his quote-unquote jump shot is meant to be like a set shot. Um, he may very well just be like a guy who's going to operate around the basket and then maybe if he – Brett, as you said, if he gets the chance to, to shoot a few open threes, maybe that's just what he is. I don't, I don't know how much um, game he's going to get in, in the mid range. He, he might very well be just like a different version of like a Giannis type player. That might just be who he is. Um, Cole, I don't know what your thoughts are about about Zion. Yeah, I mean, just real quick on his skills. Like his touch is so good around the rim. I have to believe, and I really think he should. Not even so much a mid-range jump shot. He needs like the baby runner hook and and floater game because mm. this little with the amount of explosiveness and quick twitch he has, a little up fake with his shoulders and head, if he's driving to you know fake the floater or or that type of you know uh, mid-range skill shot, he can get by you in the next nanosecond. So like I think he just needs to add in wrinkles more than the, the jump shot, in my opinion. Um, I think. I agree with you, Brett, in the sense that right now, this very moment, B.I. is definitely better than Zion. But the question I posed to Nate and uh, our lovely producer, Kevin, off the air was that if you take 
Lonzo and Zion and the rest of the team, and you put it against Brandon and Zion, or Brandon and Lonzo and the rest of the team, who's winning that series? And I think it's Zion and, and Lonzo. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's, he's a hard one to evaluate. I mean, at this point, it's like, he, he really, like, nobody gets in his way. And I don't know. I just need to see it in the regular season because it's like, how much effort is he giving? How much effort are the defenders giving in the he's preseason? Like, he's definitely dialed it back right now. Yeah. No, no, for sure. And it's like, but in the bubble, this is kind of what he looked like. But at the same right. time, he's in better shape now. So it's like, yeah, he's probably dialing it back. And, I mean, I think there's a non-zero chance that, like, in the regular season, he could just be, like, straight-up all-star, just dominant. Holy- Holy shit. Uh, it's, it's there. It's there. So I don't know. I, I have a hard time kind of evaluating him, but I think we can all agree that um, the potential to be really, really fucking good right right now is there. Um, so even, even if he doesn't learn how to shoot, it's like, you know, nobody can stop the guy going to the rim. Even if he doesn't dunk, mm-hmm. his touch is so good. Like, so he, he can get it done either way, but he looks like he's in better shape and, I'm pretty optimistic about him. Yeah, we're we're de- we're gonna have a, a a definite answer for the question after this season. I yeah. feel like we do need to see more. But um, the San Antonio Spurs. Before we get to two questions that I feel like are gonna wrap this pot up really well, I think they're gonna be a little more long winded. But the Spurs, is this the year for the Lonnie Leap boys? We're all high on Lonnie Walker. Can it can it finally? happened this year cole I'll, I'll start with you since this is this was he was pretty much our, our first our first like game scouting together what was when we got to see him yeah, it was our very first for miami yeah. yeah so that that was that that's a nice trip down memory lane for Definitely. for us being high on him but yeah is this the year for the lonnie leap cole uh after the trade deadline the spurs still need to get rid of the rosen and lamarcus i was watching the game last night and i can't and it happened last year. I can't tell you how many times LaMarcus takes the worst jump shot when he has Lonnie standing next to him five feet away open for a better jump shot. And it's just like, I cannot wait till you and DeMar Dinosaur DeRozan get the hell out of San Antonio. Good God, dude. It's not just those two, though. I feel like that's like a uh, great Pat, sure, point to bring put Patty, up. Put, put, put Patty Mills in there, too. He can get caught, too. <laughs> but, like, I feel like people on his own team, like, freeze him out. And, and Brett, maybe maybe you have an answer for that. I, I don't know, but yeah. that's like my biggest point is like, why why are people quite literally like freezing him out of the offense? Like Lonnie doesn't get shots. Like I looked I, at the stat uh, line from like the preseason game, and it was like there were multiple guys that were like already at double gi- double digit shot attempts, um, and and they were like about like nine or ten guys deep through that already played minutes, and Lonnie was only at like two shots. Like, I just yeah, don't understand. It's, it's extremely frustrating. Like, you know, behind Baisley and uh, – I mean, I would say Lonnie is firmly within my top five favorite, most promising young players in the NBA. Like, I I mean, I think he's – he might be the most athletic guy in the league. Like, he's in that Seriously. Zach Levine class. Like, I mean, I, I definitely – people gave me shit about it in the group when I posted about it the other day. No, it's I think true. He's a top five yeah. athlete in the NBA. Like, I, I don't Total think that's freak. crazy to say at all. And he can absolutely shoot the ball and he plays on ball. He's great defensively off ball. He needs some work, but like the guy can play and the San Antonio stuff frustrates me to no end. Like LaMarcus and DeMar have become those guys. I, t- I posted about this too the other day, like the get mine veterans, like De- DeMar is just going to get his, he just, I'm just going to get my 20. 
I'm going to get my contract. I'm going to keep my career going. I don't give a fuck about these young guys. And he's not a bad guy. I don't think he's like, you know, I don't think he's like freezing them out necessarily, but he's going to get his, uh, whether it helps the team or not. And I think LaMarcus is doing the same thing. And I just don't see how San Antonio doesn't see what a freaking log jam they have with some of these young guys. Like, yeah, get Mills out of there too. Get DeRozan out of there. Get LaMarcus out of there. Um, it, you know, get, you got Murray. You Figure got, out between Keldon, Murray, Lonnie, and, and Derek White. And Derek and White, what the hell you're doing. Figure it out because Vassell looks promising. Um, yeah. Derek White, I'm not as high on him as uh, the Spurs and some Spurs fans are. I think he's – I don't know that the shooting is for real. We, we got to see some more of that. But and Keldon's interesting, but, again, I'm not sold on him. You know, Murray – Lonnie Vassell, really interesting. But like, what are you doing with DeRozan there? You've got this super high usage guy that plays the exact same position as Lonnie and Vassell. Like, you, if you're San Antonio, you probably don't make the playoffs this year, no matter how hard you go with those veterans. So, get them out of there. Get what you can for them. What, it's incredibly frustrating as a Lonnie fan because I what, think what, that guy, oh, he's so what, good. What really frustrates me is that. Not, not that I don't like Keldon Johnson as a player. I, I do think that, that he has some talent and that he's promising, that he was a guy that was probably yeah. undervalued in his draft class. Oh, yeah. But he kind of came in and, like, stole Lonnie's lunch. Like, like, like he's quite yeah. literally gotten more buzz and more shot attempts in, in, in the short time that he's been there than I think Lonnie has with all the years that he's been there. And that kind of, like, frustrates me. Like, even if you're not the highest on Lonnie Walker when he's in your own building, like – at this point, you're you're at where you ca- you have to figure out whether you like him or not, right? Like this is the time where you got to evaluate who he is for you. Give him the shot attempts. Give him the role in the offense. Let him see if he can figure it out. If he's not who you want him to be, then trade him and let him have an opportunity somewhere else. But don't like keep him locked down, especially when you're giving someone else who hasn't been there nearly as long as he has more opportunity. And I don't think that Keldon. Like, like I said, I'm not going to knock him as a player, but I don't think that Keldon's done oh. more than Lonnie has to deserve no. the shot attempts in the world. Keldon is so raw, man. Like, I saw both of them at the Summer League in 2019 in, in person in Vegas, of course. And, like, Keldon is intriguing, but he is so raw. And He's Lonnie, better off. Sorry, go ahead. Lonnie's, finish. No, Lonnie's polished. And it's like, the last, I'll just say this, man, because I'm, I'm really passionate about Lonnie. Um, I, I have not seen anything from Lonnie that would lead me to believe he can't do it. That's all I'm saying. Like, I have not seen anything negative from him that it's like, oh, okay, that he doesn't have this, or oh, he can't do this, or this is a major flaw. Like, if that day comes where I see something like that, maybe, you know, I'll give up on him or like be like, okay, I see, maybe give the minutes to Keldon or whatever. But like, I haven't seen that yet. Like, everything right. I see from Lonnie, like, this guy is awesome. <laughs> yeah. and the community as well <laughs> he does uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand what he did to get in pop's doghouse like did he like make a pass at like one of pop's so, relatives or something that he didn't well, like i'll tell you this man like real quick like i went to i was telling you guys i drove to quite a few Suns games last year in phoenix so i was like going to the drive and i'm actually working with one of their former players on a book and like um but i i, I sat i was like fifth row one game and I at that point I had like totally turned on Pop. I was like, fuck Pop. Like he never plays Lonnie. This guy's an idiot. Like he really like he's a great coach when he has great players and veterans, but like he doesn't recognize young talent. I was totally out on Pop. And then I I was watching this game and I was I was center court, like fifth row, 
And uh, and Lonnie at one point was like waiting to sub in. And just because of like the way the game was going, it took him like two minutes to sub in. Like there was mm-hmm. no fouls, no dead balls. And Pop was standing next to him the entire time at midcourt in his ear, talking to him the entire time. Like, and Lonnie was so responsive too. And it was just like, um, he was like so receptive, I should say. And like, I could just see it like up close, like that pop does care about this kid. And like, he was really like teaching him the game, like right in front of me. And I posted about it. Cause I was like, okay, I was really out on pop, but I kind of changed my mind after seeing how he interacted with Lonnie when he was waiting to be subbed in. He, he stood by his side the entire like two, three, four minutes, whatever, while he was waiting to get subbed in and never stopped talking to him, coaching him, showing him what was happening. Um, so I was kind of like, all right, that's cool. But at the end of the day, like, come on, Pop, what the fuck are you doing? Like, give the kid 30 minutes a game, please. What, what else are you doing? Come on. Right, I so I, I, I think, Nate, to your point, like how Keldon just kind of came in and ate Lonnie's lunch, I think this kind of points to potentially the bigger issue that nobody's talking about in San Antonio. Um, and, and personally, I think Keldon's better off suited for like a Jordan Clarkson type role. But the, the issue I'm referring to in San Antonio is that Popovich is also a dinosaur and maybe RC Buford, while he knows how to draft a little bit still for the current day NBA, these guys don't know how to reach their players anymore. I, I don't, I think the Spurs organization has, has lost something from its championship days and it's not getting it back with Tim Duncan being an assistant coach on the bench. I think that's just kind of a joke to be honest. Um, I, I think, I think, the Spurs organization from a management standpoint is is out of touch with the NBA and they need would, to move on. Would you guys, this is a question for you guys. Would you say that their player development is overrated? Like everyone loves to talk about, you know, Kawhi and Chip England and what he did with his shot. But like, I think when you start looking at like, like DeJounte Murray's in what year five. Right. Like, I mean, I, I wonder is their player development a little bit overrated? Like, yeah. should they have done more? Like, DeJounte's a massive talent. Lonnie, massive talent. Keldon, massive talent. Um, I think it. I think their player development might be a little overrated because they always just had a lot of great veterans. And that's what I'm saying. I just think they're they're out of touch with what they need to do and first, yeah. what their perception is of the San Antonio Spurs. I just I think, think they, they, they they've right, amassed yeah. they've amassed too much of a logjam at similar positions that they never dealt with in the past. Like can can you really think of a time during all those great Spurs runs where they had a logjam at a position? Like they were pretty balanced as a roster. Like there is there's sure. really no never a time in doubt where like Tony Parker w- wasn't gonna get his touches or like Manu Ginobili wasn't gonna have his role, whatever that was at that time, depending on the team. Um, obviously there's never a doubt about Tim Duncan, but like you never really had guys behind them, like putting so much pressure to the point where like you had these questions about these certain well, no. players or you questioned like their, their development in general. Now you have a log jam, right? Now you, now you really need to figure out who are your guys. And if these guys aren't your guys, then let them have their time somewhere else and be in a better situation for them. Don't just keep them there for absolutely no reason when you have guys that you clearly like, like they've kept Patty around, they've kept DeMar around, they've kept LaMarcus around um, guys who are going to take those opportunities away from some of those younger guys. I know LaMarcus isn't like in the guard wing log jam, but he's taken enough shots away from other guys as, as you guys said, but like, yeah, like open it up for some of these other guys or 
get them out of there like shit or get off the pot like it, yeah. it is what it is at this point yeah they just need to like not worry about making the playoffs this season like i don't know i'm not gonna say they got lucky with like tony parker and manu um but things kind of Kawhi, things kind of worked out for them where like they didn't have to worry about that and i just feel like now these past couple seasons they're really being tested and it's like i don't like the way they're handling it like i right. don't feel like they have a set direction it's like you probably can't make the playoffs with this team but like you still keeping these guys around and you're like hampering these young guys developments like Lonnie's in year three now like mm-hmm. it's a good time I just I don't know it's it's really frustrating as like a Lonnie and DeJounte fan um I, I just feel like they've fallen short in terms of player development and just giving these young guys opportunities so I hope that changes they need to cut bait with Damar and Marcus and not care what they get back right Get a sec, get a fucking second round pick back. Get a get a late for get a you know what I mean. Like get a okay, you can get a first rounder back for one of them. Maybe a get get role player veterans who aren't going to eat shots from your kids. You need to develop, right? Because unless you rounds. think unless you think you can really make a run with this team, which like please I don't see how they could think that. Like in the West right now, look at the West. Like there's no way they're better than Phoenix. Like, yeah. There's no way, even with those two guys. There's no way, in my opinion. Uh, right there with you yeah i hate this topic of conversation i get frustrated (laughs) every time man (laughs) i really do it the spurs drive me crazy it's all good because we're gonna put a smile on your face with the next one brett i wanted to get to your blazers because they are your blazers we've mentioned this already (laughs) multiple times on this podcast but especially now my question and i think i know your answer already because i heard for anybody who hasn't listened to the Overstated's preview, they did a really good job with both conferences, um, but especially the West episode I really liked because of the Trailblazers conversation and then the conversation about the Mavs, which is how I want to wrap up the podcast. But my Blazers question, is Gary Trent Jr. the best option for the team at the three, or would that be one of Derek Jones Jr. or Carmelo Anthony, depending on how you want to play Melo? Uh, yeah, I'll keep this one quick. I feel like I've been kind of long-winded. I think Derek Jones Jr. is the best option at the three. I think, you know, Gary Trent was great in the bubble in that role. Um, He's just way undersized for a three, though. I think he's best suited off the bench on this team. And um, you're going to have Covington playing the four, especially to begin the season with Zach Zach Collins being sidelined. So when you have Covington at the four, um, and of course, CJ and Dame in the backcourt, like you've got plenty of shooting. So like, that's kind of Derek Jones Jr.'s one knock is he's like not a great shooter, but when you're surrounded by those other three guys, you're playing small ball with uh, Rocco at the four. I think um, Derek Jones and the versatility he provides defensively, just the overall athleticism and length is your best option at the three. So if it were up to me, he'd be my starting three and Gary Trent would be like my sixth man. So yeah, hopefully they do that. Um, I don't think it's like a major deal breaker either way. I think they'd be fine either way, but I think, uh, DJJ is just a better uh, fit in that starting five as currently constructed. And if Zach Collins comes back and like they're hell bent on starting him, then Gary Trent would be the better option at the three because you have so much more size um, and less shooting at the four. But for now, um, you got to start Derek Jones, in my opinion. And like Hood, like Rodney Hood, I think was their starter before he got hurt last season. But you know he's coming off an Achilles. Like I just, I yeah, don't you got to give him time. Yeah, you got to give him time. So that's where I'm at. I mean, my my answer for that question when I wrote it was Gary Trent Jr. But because because I I just like the the versatility he brings as a as a shooter 
and then you combine that with the rest of his scoring package, I just think he's a really intriguing option. And the fact that he didn't get lost defensively playing technically up a spot from what you would consider him, I thought that overall that dimension of offense was really valuable to the rest of what Portland was doing in their starting lineup. But then I started to watch some of the Blazers preseason basketball and Brett, I'm going to give this one to you, man. I know that you, you're a big Derek Jones Jr. guy before he got to Portland. Then you guys got him. And I was like, oh man, Brett's going to go nuts about this. But I, I guess I just didn't watch enough Miami Heat basketball because I didn't realize how good Derek Jones Jr. was off the dribble with the ball in his hands. Like he has come a long way in terms of being able to create his own shot off the bounce. Like you mentioned that the shooting is probably the biggest knock on his offensive game. But if you can get to where you want to go with the ball in your hands, your handle is, is just tight enough to the point where you're not losing it all the time. And then you combine that with, with his stride getting into the basket and his speed and his athleticism, like good, good God. Like I just, I, I didn't watch enough Miami basketball. I didn't realize that Derrick Jones Jr. was this far along in his development. No, it's, it's improved though. He's improved. Like that's, that's what it is. And that's, I think that's one of his defining characteristics is like this guy has gotten noticeably better every year that he's been in the NBA. And that's one of the things I like most about him. And I think that off the dribble stuff is something that he's added recently. He wasn't doing a lot of he that wasn't. in Miami. Um, and and look, man, as far as the shooting, like yeah, he's not a great shooter, but you don't want to leave him open. He can hit no. a spot up three. Like no. I think of him as like a Darius Baisley kind of like level shooter. Like if you leave him open, he'll knock it down. Um, and he's only getting better in that regard too. And if he ever, you know, could become like a 37% three point shooter, you're looking at an extremely valuable player when you factor everything else in. So that's one of the things I, I look at that with players is just like their development. Um, they're like improvement trajectory. Like how much do they get? Cause we, the first pod I did with you, I talked about Damian Lillard. I said, that's the best thing about that guy is that every year he gets better now, even into age 30. And I think Derek Jones jr. Is another guy where like every year that guy gets noticeably better. And so I think that off the dribble stuff you're talking about is new. I don't think you missed anything with him in Miami. He wasn't doing that, but he's, he's only 23. And he's, he's doing it that now. To his game. And he's doing it now. So I could not be higher. I always said he was like, I talked about this on your podcast. He was like the most intriguing free agent to me. And the fact that my Blazers got him, you know, I'm psyched. <laughs> I know. He, I know he's like significantly better of an athlete than, than, than Baisley, at least to my eye, but I feel like you have a type. Like they're like, their body types are like very similar. So that, yeah, that might just I be like your type, right? Guys. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they are, man. They, well, yeah, it's just, it's just more than that, but that's definitely part of it. I do like the long kind of rangy uh, combo forward kind of guys. They play a little small ball four, can play a little three, you know, get off the ground a bit. Baisley's more athletic than people realize, but um, he's no Derek Jones Jr. though. <laughs> Cole, Cole, how do you feel about Derek Jones Jr.? Yeah, I like Brett's point that DJJ seems to be getting better every year, and I'd put him right behind Christian Wood as probably number two as value free agent signings go this year mm -hmm. for that for that fact because you know by year three of the deal you might have a totally new player that's really really good. Um, I think he is the starter, and I think you know yeah you can't leave him open. He's not a great shooter right now, but there are guys who if they're the worst shooter on the floor for their starting five or that five at the time, you know that's okay. And if he is the worst shooter for the Portland starting five that's going to be okay because of the defensive versatility he brings. Not to mention, we know Dame is a, a wizard in, in pick and roll. He hasn't really had a wing lob threat quite like DJJ in the mm -hmm. past, I don't think. So I expect to see some crazy lob opportunities between those two uh, very soon. So I, I think he is the starter. I think, you know, as the season goes on, we'll see some different looks just because of situations and whatnot. 
I think this is probably the most balanced Portland team they've had in a while, um, dating back to Dame's younger years when you know it was Wes Batum and Lamarcus with him. But uh, one question for you, Brett: If if Zach Collins comes back and they are helping on starting him, wouldn't that just push Covington down to the three? Yep, yep. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it would do. Um, but hey, man, if they're playing well enough before he comes back, I don't think they'll be hell bent on starting him. Like, no, I, I, don't I really so. like Zach Collins. I think he's one of my like delusional kind of like um, irrational uh, guy. Oh, like, God. guys, I'm way too high on. Like that, Dude, at I this mean, point, you, it's like, why am, still, <laughs> why am I still so high on this guy? I saw him at summer league too, like his rookie year, and was just blown away by his motor and his athleticism well, it's of his and his length. Right. A lot of it's health, but even when he's healthy, it's kind of like he's missing a little something. I'm not giving up on him, but like, I think I'm probably higher on him than I should be. But look, man, if they're playing well um, without him, I think they'll be perfectly fine bringing him off the bench and just keeping Rocco at the four and Derek at the three. And if maybe if it's not working out, they try to slide him into the starting five. And, and I agree, it would probably move Covington to the three and, Jones would be coming off the bench, but you know, they paid him a fair amount of money, the mid-level exception. So, um, you know, I think they're going to, they're, they're definitely going to give him um, starter minutes. Even if he's not necessarily in the starting five, he'll right. be getting his, his 30 he'll finish minutes. games. He'll probably finish yes. games. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I like that lineup, but just with the, where the NBA is at right now, I like him and Covington in there together. So I kind of hope they just roll with that as a Blazers fan. Yeah. And Nate, I like trying off the bench. I think you can't really trust Simons just yet to be that consistent offensive uh, ignite every night. Um, I think you know, his shooting percentage leaves something to be desired still from that standpoint. If this is a guy you're really coming, expecting to come off your bench and be a spark every night, he needs to shoot a little bit better than he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's still been dealing with injuries here and there. So uh, Trent's scoring package overall, I think, is probably the best for that team off the bench. Trent, Trent's draft stock took a massive hit when he was coming out, and I still can't put my finger on why because he was a lottery grade to me, and I think he's living up to that now. Um, he, he's been given the role in, in Portland, especially in the bubble, and he's living up to it. And, yeah, my, my, my love for Gary Trent's not going away, but I will say that, obviously, in a starting role, um, everything that Derrick Jones Jr. is doing now offensively, as we've spoken about, is great defensively. You always want the size. You always want the length. So that's going to be an advantage for him either way to lock down that role. But the, for anyone out there, don't sleep on Gary Trent Jr. either because his impact in the bubble wasn't just a one-time thing. He's going to be a key player for Portland moving forward, and my good friend Brett here should be very happy to have him in the rotation regardless. Um, last but not least, my dark horse title contender, as many – people probably have as a dark horse title contender, the Dallas Mavericks. And my question, can Luka Doncic get himself and the rest of the team to the same level of efficiency to have the Steph Giannis effect on the game to rest in the fourth quarters of blowouts? So in other words, is he truly that impactful of a talent and therefore a strong MVP favorite? So whoever wants to jump in on that one. Uh, you can go first, man, on this one if you want. <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, I think I think the answer is yes. I, you know, Nate, you had asked us to do put together some mock standings in addition to this podcast, which we haven't really touched on at all, which is fine, obviously. But I had Dallas up in my top three just from a standpoint for this season um, because of the way the schedule is comprised. You're facing your division more. They have one of the weaker divisions. They have the weakest division in the Western Conference. Um, and Dallas – 
based off what we know in years gone by with Rick Carlisle coach teams and, and Luca's personality, they're going to play balls to the wall. They're not going to take a regular season game off like some other teams are going to. And I think that's going to work in their favor and Luca's favor when it comes time end of the year for MVP voting and where they end up in the standings. So I, I do see Luca as that force. I think it does happen this year. KP there or not. I like the Josh Richardson addition. I think that keeps them afloat well enough until KP gets back and then they really take off. Yeah. Josh has looked good uh, in the preseason and look like when we did our Western conference preview on, on my podcast, I had them ninth. Um, and I'm going to stand by that. And like, yeah, the shit from Richardson is encouraging. That's looking increasingly like a good fit, but um, I think they're going to be without KP for a good chunk of the season. Um, unless something's come up in the last couple of days that I missed, I think he's going to be out until at least February, which is a good handful of games. So like I said on my podcast, like if they can get into the play in and he's fully healthy, like even if their regular season record's not great, I think they probably get in and they're probably a really dangerous playoff team. Well, they for sure are if KP and Luca are both at full strength. But I just think in terms of regular season record, he's going to miss a good chunk of games and it might take him a little while to get up to speed. And my thing and again, I talked about this on our podcast, so I know we have some of the same. That's where I got this question from. So I, right. I literally well, got the whole idea because I listened to yours. Yeah, and it's like, how much better can Luca get from last season? Right? Like, what what does that look like? Like, he he was so good last season. It's like, what I everyone's talking about this leap, this jump that Luca's gonna make, and it's like Really? Do we think he's going to get that much better than he was last season? Um, I'm skeptical. And like without that giant leap and considering uh, that KP is going to be on the shelf for a minute, like I don't know that they're going to be any better than they were last season. And then I look at teams like Phoenix, maybe New Orleans, um, definitely Portland as being better than they were last season. So like even if the Mavs are like essentially what they were last season. I think a couple other teams got better and I have them as like a really dangerous, like number nine that if they're fully healthy could, you know, win the play in and, and maybe even win a series in the playoffs. But like, if we're just talking about regular season, like I think they're like maybe a 46 win equivalent team, whatever that plays out to in a 72 game season. I, I, I personally I, I get where you're coming from, Brett. And and like I said, I, I got this question mainly from listening to your podcast because you and Jacob went back and forth yeah. talking about what does a better Luka Doncic look like? How much better can he get? Well, the answer, as you guys came to realize, is the whole efficiency standpoint, right? Like he he's the numbers, the raw numbers probably aren't going to get much better than what they are now because they're already like off the charts. Amazing. Right. But the efficiency and how he gets to those numbers, and then in turn, how he helps the rest of the team better themselves. I, I really feel like the, the Steph Giannis effect is, is, is coming for him. Um, and, and it very well could happen this season. I'm not, I think it definitely will happen. I don't know how quickly, as, as you talked to, like not having Porzingis for a decent chunk of time could definitely play into that and, and hurt those chances. But at the same time, I'm not going to put anything past Luka. This kid is much better than I thought he would be. Um, not that I was necessarily low on him, but I did have him in that draft class behind Aiton. 
Um, because I, I really thought that DeAndre Ayton was going to be more of a monster than, than mm. he's been so far. And and maybe Ayton gets to like the, the ceiling that I thought he would, which would be like a more athletic David Robinson. Oh, come you, on, Cole. Come no, on, I'm, Cole. I'm, I'm with you on Ayton. I was, bro. I was never you. there. I'm sorry. It was it close was, for me. It, but. it was Dodgers or bust. But but that Luca's like sur- surpassing what I thought he could ever be, and I'm just I'm not going to put a limit on the kid anymore. Like, I'm, I'm just I'm just not going to do it. I, I think he's that generational of a talent, and at, at this point, nothing that the Mavericks would do this year would surprise me. Honest, honest to God, Brett, to to your point, I I can go from the other end of the spectrum. They could finish with like the best record in the West, and it wouldn't shock me. I'm sorry, just it it, it would not shock me whatsoever. Or if at the same time, if, if Luca ran into some injury troubles, if Porzingis like never gets healthy and really isn't around for for the season at all, and and they slip and they kind of fall to where you have them, that wouldn't shock me either. But the no. fact that I can see either end of the spectrum, I yeah. think that speaks to just how great Luca is. Yeah, they've got more, probably more variance than any other team. Like, dude, I would not be shocked if they finished as like the three or four seed. Any higher than that, I'd be shocked. But like, if they finished as the four, I would not be shocked. But if they finish as the 10, I would not be shocked. And I don't know if there's any other team that has that much variance. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Luca doesn't look like he's in the greatest shape. I think he's another one of those guys like Jokic has been in the past where, like, he just gets fat in the offseason. <laughs> like, like, I mean, he, he'll be fine. I'm not worried about him. But, like, he'll play you know, shape. it would be nice if he was in midseason form to begin the season like some of these other guys are. Um, but, hey, what are you going to do? I, I don't know, man. I'm not I, like, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like when a lot of people listen to our podcast, when we talked about that, they're like, oh, you're totally out on the maps. I'm like, no, like, I think that seven through 10 or even six through 10 could be super close in the West. I think one through five will kind of separate themselves. And that would be with the Blazers as the five. And I think six beginning with Phoenix and going down through 10, where it could be, you know, New Orleans, Memphis, um, Dallas, like Utah, maybe like, I think that's all going to be really close. So it's like, yeah, maybe I have Dallas as like my nine or whatever, but they could just be like one game behind my six. So it's like, I'm not totally out on them. That was just kind of like, I wouldn't be shocked anywhere in there, but, but I would guess somewhere between six and 10. And I, I think I had them at nine and I'll stand by that. That makes sense. I, th- I think the only reason I'm a little bit more confident to put them a little higher this year is just because of the way the NBA has constructed the schedule and that you're going to be playing your division opponents more often. So you look at the division, it's Houston, Dallas, Memphis, San Antonio, and New Orleans. They're easily, they could be considered the best team in that division, given the Rockets' character problems currently. Memphis is still on the up and up and missing Jaron Jackson. We think the Spurs are a mess, and the Pelicans got to go prove it. So uh, they Good could, point. They could Good rack point. up the wins in that division just knowing who they are because it's a Rick Carlisle coach team and Doncic is that great. Um, I do think there is another step for Doncic to take. Uh, I feel like, Brett, I've heard that question asked about LeBron and Giannis and Kawhi and, and Harden, you know, when they mm-hmm. put up their peak years, like, oh, right. how can they get better? And then right, they, right. Better. they do. So, and and Luca so, would be, Luca's right there with those guys. Like, he's right. on, so the guy's I, I on think, like a goat trajectory. Like, if you look yeah. at his first two years, it's, it's like, insane. he's it's, right. It's insane. I don't know. Like, you're looking at like Kareem. Like, he's think, right there, though. Like, it's right. crazy. I, I, think the step he, I think the step he makes is kind of like a Chris Paul type step where he integrates himself into the team entirely. And he knows exactly mm-hmm. what everybody else needs to do and where they get off on the court offensively. And that's what you see. Like he improves the team and therefore his numbers improve. 
Yeah, that's, I think Jacob kind of hinted at that too on our podcast too when I asked that same question. And, and that makes sense. Like that would be what it looks like for him to kind of go to the next level. But it's like, right. just like God, he was so good. Um, yeah, he but, was. Yeah, but, that, but at the same time, he's 21. Like it's like he's, you know, or whatever, 22 maybe now. I don't, I don't know what he is. He's young as fuck. But like he's going to get better. There's no question. And I guess, I don't know. Maybe I'm like in denial that a guy could be this good going his third year. But um, if anyone was going to do it, it would be him because he's he's really like in that Kareem Magic LeBron conversation if we're talking about his first two seasons. So um, I don't mean to dis discount how great he is, but um, but yeah, man, if he's like, dude, if he's the best player in the league or if he's a top three player in the league, then I'm probably insane for saying they're like, you know, a borderline eight seed. So we'll see. No, we, 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 we definitely had to end the podcast with one of my two favorite players to watch in, in the NBA. It's probably, it's probably him and Dame Lillard. Um, Cole Anthony is going to be right there, uh, oh, yeah. obviously, but um, Lu, Lucas, yeah, Lucas just on another level. I can't, I can't believe it. And there's really he's, no he's, words. To he's, pretty, he's pretty, he's pretty good. <laughs> he is pretty, um, pretty good. <laughs> well, well, boys, I, I think we've been pretty good. With, with, with this pod i can't believe that we've made it through 30 teams 30 questions this podcast is certainly long enough for everybody who's still listening out there at this point obviously we appreciate you tuning into the draft deeper podcast brett tell everyone where they can find your stuff as as i always allow you to <laughs> at the end of the show our podcast is called the overstated nba show uh we've got a facebook group called overstated nba where we just kind of talk about this stuff and sort of integrate it with the podcast so Check us out on there. Um, yeah, that's about it. You know, <laughs> we're, we're looking to expand a little bit in the near future, but for now, that's kind of where we're at. And um, yeah, man, thank you for having me on. This, you guys are the best. And this, this was a lot of fun today. It was a lot of fun last week, a lot of fun today. Um, I could talk about this stuff all day long. So, so I appreciate the opportunity to do so. Absolutely, man. Um, for everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. Obviously, follow us on social media at Draft Deeper on Twitter. Like the Facebook page, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Cole and I will be on next week. Um, we're we're going to get back into the draft conversation. We already have a fun pod planned um, going through some some more guys that, that we like, but also obviously some high value topics as we move into the, the end of December and the launch of the Draft Deeper Big Board. So definitely stay tuned for that on all social media platforms. And trust me, I say it every week. The website's coming. There's great work being done on the back end. You guys are going to love it once it's fully up and running. So thank you, everyone, again, for listening. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.